I'ma say what I feel And I promise to keep it real Welcome to the Red Room Well, you gotta be a rider till your fears are diminishing the doubts are behind ya. It's hard to grind and the business got me stressed in the rent room. We let that shit up off our chest. You know the street nerd has got no time for no kata. Sass in class, yes, that's Mr. Bolakaja. Never have to guess when you're listening to Hilliard. He gon' bring more game than a shark playing billiards. It's all about the crap of screenwriting. It's exciting when you turn an outline into something enlightening. Your pen and words are like bullets in a gun. Write what you feel, say what you want. Welcome to the Red Room. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's your boy, Hilliard Guest. You guys are listening to the Screenwriters Rant Room. Will we keep it real? We keep it opinionated? We keep it what, everybody? 2020. Yeah. On this show, we discuss entertainment, TV, film, music, culture. But our focus is always screenwriting, stories, craft, and shit like that. Yes. Y'all will hear everybody in the house today. Lisa, uh, Kaja, oh my Chris, gosh. Derek, Carl Seaton, Uncle Carl, we call him. For y'all, Mr. Carl Seaton, the pimp dog himself. <laughs> That's right. That's we right. Carl and Lisa finally meeting each other today. Hold on. In person. It's virtual. It's wait, virtual. wait. It's virtual. <laughs> and she and made you know a what? Actress. Listen. Listen. And the voice modulator. Carl, this might not even be real. This could be a pre-recorded taping of some other chick. <laughs> <laughs> now, I see the Martina. I said, okay, this possibly okay. could be yes. her. But, but that's how smart the AI is. You see what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We need to do the it, wait, wait. It can mimic. It can mimic, right? It can mimic. Do we need to do the Turek, we need to do Turek test right now? Do you need to ask me the questions to see if I'm a robot or not? Yeah, yeah, ask her. I'm, no, I'm going to get you. See, you're expecting them right now. Now you're ready. Okay. I'm going to slide them in later on for the conversation. You just expect them. Come on. There's a, there's a glitch in the matrix. There's hey. a glitch in the matrix. <laughs> oh, no, I'm not. I'm away. I'm All right. You're all stupid. Uh, <laughs> so, what's up, Lisa? No, why are you freezing? How y'all been surviving out there in San, in San Diego? Huh? Uh, Did I freeze? Froze. But I can hear you. Okay. I can see you. You're moving now. Um, it's been good. Like I said, I'm down with my mom and my sister, so that's always helpful because they have a nice house with a, a big statue yard with a nice deck and a big front yard. So I can go outdoors, sunbathe. I can actually walk up and down the street. My neighbors have been really, unlike some Americans, my neighbors are really good in terms of social distancing, keeping their children at bay. Where I live at, I actually live right about a five-minute walk from my old high school. Okay. So this... We're in Southeast San Diego, so this is like the black side of town. So where I live, it's all where all the black, Latinos, Asians live. So mm-hmm. we're kind of used to like the struggle and just dealing with shit. So this ain't new. This ain't new. The only thing that's different is we can't run to the store as often as we would like. So, right. you know, people have been really good in terms of looking out for the older people and just being real respectful when they're walking their dogs. So it's been real nice. The only problem is the last few weeks, literally, it's been raining. So... I've been trying to, like, I stocked up on my vitamins, and mm-hmm. I need to start processing my vitamin D naturally with the sunlight, but we haven't really had it. So I am really pale. My melanin has not been popping. Is it, is it not sunny now? It's, 
It's okay now. Like the sun is out, but it's not the vivacious San Diego. Like at this time of year, I'm usually at the beach right now. Like literally I'm at ski beach. I'm laid out. I'm reading. I'm getting melanated. It's wonderful. (laughs) But they just opened up the parks down here. And I think a lot of people have been going to the beach. So I expect a second wave of people getting sick pretty soon because they're they're just opening stuff too soon. Because normally I'm at Balboa Park. I'm down at Mission Beach or I'm in Pea Beach. You know, I you know, I get around the beach stuff and do my boogie boarding, but I'm not going nowhere. Like when they do open up stuff, I'm still not coming out. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be that canary out there. And it's like too many black people dropping dead. And uh case you know, in the, point. Go ahead. I was just gonna say the one thing that bothers me the most is like we're outside walking our dogs, for example, and I got I always have my mask on. Right, right. And People be running by jogging, <sighs> breathing and spitting with no fucking mask on. Carl, I saw you out there running. <laughs> <laughs> out there running. You, I can't run with a mask, but I'm I'm down. I'm down, where I'm yeah. at. Isolated. It's like dystopian where I'm at. So if right. I see somebody, they're like a block away. So I'm. Right. Uh, it's not like I'm on a bike path or anything like that. <laughs> Wait, are you are, are you like Will Smith? In that I, one movie, like you I, see I, somebody I, moving, yeah, just, you, you see somebody moving, you freak out. Like I'm there like, might not be anybody walking. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm not too far from the Skid Row, so it's always gonna be somebody. Oh, so you down oh. there by the, you down there by the nickel? All right, I see where you are. Listen, I'm right by the nickel. Yes. Listen, I know, I know, yes. I know that I, I know that place. I see some varying savory characters daily who are like, <laughs> Corona, what? <laughs> what about you carl what you've been doing how you've been surviving out here so you guys you guys were you were in the middle of uh you were starting to prep you said yeah, right. i was prepping an episode of a chicago pd when everything and all the plugs got pulled on all shows, basically. And it, it, it was funny because it mis- initially it was like, okay, I was going to start shooting on a Friday. And they said, okay, we're not going to start, sh- we're, gonna, we're not going to shoot on Friday. We'll start on Monday. Yeah. Then it went from, all right, we'll, we may go down for two weeks. And then it was, okay, the season's over. And the show oh, yeah. had more episodes to shoot for the season. So for them to pull the plug, it's like, whoa. I mean, you know, it, it was, this was a gradual thing for us, man. I mean, yeah, you heard about it. And then it really started to escalate when the NBA said we shutting down. Yeah, that was that was it. Wow, the NBA is shut down and sports yeah. shut down, and it's like wow. And then it just, and then and then um, someone got the virus in the in a product in a, a production office next door to oh. uh, PD, mm-hmm. and they were everybody was just like I mean because because there's so much misinformation out here and so much uncertainty at the time, nobody really knew. How severe it was, how easy contagious it was, was it airborne? Right. Things we're still figuring out. So, with that comes a lot of fear because it's not, it's bigger than just you personally. Right. You're thinking about your family, mm-hmm. the older people in your family, the younger kids in your family. You know, like so you're always thinking like I don't want to expose myself because I don't want to expose others, and I don't want right. to no- willingly be somewhere where I can bring this back to a whole other tribe of folks, which is how it as spread as it is. So right. it was just right. crazy, man. And, and like I said, it, they, they got on it quickly, though. They pulled the plug, like everybody go home, everybody separate, and and that was that. And and, and even today, everybody's still trying to figure out the best way to roll it back out because nobody really wants to be the first. Everybody wants to get back to work. 
Right. To be the first ones to get back to work and something like this happens. And so God forbid some some production comes back and, and, and another outbreak happens and some people lose their lives on a production. Nobody wants that. None of the unions want that. None of the producers want that. That's one thing that is basically unanimous. I mean, we so it's a interesting it's interesting dynamic because we all want to work, but we also want to work safely and trying to figure out what that means because it's impossible to social distance on a set. It's impossible. Exactly. Saying not just cast and the crew, but you got background talent. I mean, you, you just have so many moving parts in a production. To to have social distancing is like yeah, it's a small city too. So yeah. yeah. Right. It's a yeah. small city moves around. And just, just like, you know, it happens every year when someone on the set or the crew has a cold, mm-hmm. it runs through the crew. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Like somebody gets the flu, be careful, such as they got a flu, and it just it could it could everybody ends up it, the crew colds, you know, they call them the crew colds, the crew, the crew colds. Right. <laughs> it's impossible to stop something like that, you know, and, and this being so severe, you know, it, it, like I said, we're still in these points of uncertainty, but I will say that everybody is working towards a, a way or a solution. Everybody's trying to, well, I mean, production's all about, filmmaking and storytelling's all about problem solving. So right. everybody shifted to solving this problem. And, and first of all, learning this problem, educating ourselves in this problem, and then trying to figure out how best to navigate around it and circumvent, you know, mm-hmm. it from spreading or affecting us even more. Right, right, right. That's a good point. That's a good point. What about you, Chris? How you holding up? <laughs> <laughs> this nigga ain't even gonna speak. Look. <laughs> I'm holding up. I'm holding up a little bit at a time. Um, I see y'all clean shaven. Just cut your hair. Okay, look at you. Lined up, Chris. I know. Chris. Right. <laughs> I'm not letting the damn virus affect my, my, my hygiene okay. habits. Do you, teach Carl, do you teach Carl to hook it up? What? <laughs> huh? do, you teach, do you teach Carl to hook it up to get that lining on or something? Wow. I'm loving it, man. You loving it? <laughs> I'm loving it. Shaving? Is your, is, your, is your girl loving it, though? Is your girl bring loving back it? the 70s. Bring <laughs> back the 70s look. Yo, this it has been liberating, man. Like, you get so caught up in living by this routine, and it's go, 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 go. Right. I'm, I can't remember the last time I sat still. I don't know if I've ever sat still like this, especially for this long of a time. Right. So initially, it was like, okay, this is going to be cool. I got books to read. I got shows to catch up on, movies to watch, and everything like that. And then you start getting you know, cerebral with it. You start reflecting on yep. where you were. Yep. Your accomplishments, your yep. failures, where you want to go, you start th- you start thinking in a lot of different ways, and this time has been awesome for me. It's been a a, a great reset for me, where I'm like, okay, I can. Well, see, like, that's out. what's been fucking me up. You know, like I'm not trying. I mean, like, like, like all the introspection has been real tough on me, um, but I'm handling it. I'm handling it very well. You know, I use this. Um, philosophy of uh stoicism to keep myself uh grounded stoicism huh yeah that's a big ass word no <laughs> it's not a big ass word it's, it's 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 an ancient philosophy from greece and from rome uh i mean you know it's like this guy named seneca he talks about he's one of the proponents of it um <clears throat> but you know i'm 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 reading more than anything Mm-hmm. I I think I've maybe watched a total of a total of ten episodes of television the entire time that we've been locked down. Wow. Um, 
I've watched a bunch of movies, but I, I but I realized what you know, like certain issues I I had with television all along. Um, in terms of like the current kind of way that serialized TV is told, um, has just kept me from not not necessarily watching it. Uh, I mean, you know, I watched like I mean, I I watched like episodes of Bosch when it dropped last week, you know. Um, but that's it, you know. I mean, I'm I'm working on I'm I'm actually working on a new short story, um, a really interesting short story, um. But you know, I, I mean, there's, I, I, I don't know. I mean, and last night we did this, this, this video. We shot this music video last night. I mean, because it's like, I mean, to me, it's <laughs> like, what the fuck? See, it was just with his brother shit, and one other person. Shit like this, I can't go outside. <laughs> we I shot it inside. We shot it inside because of you. We shot it you inside. and your ill. No, but 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 because it's 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 like the thing that I realized I was like I, I was like you know like ultimately like that's what I really like doing with anything is 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 I like the I like production I love all that stuff I mean you know like I had there was like some delays on on uh, finishing up the stuff for ticker you know that but but now it's like less kind of um uh like like just. Like less pressure. Otherwise, I was able to focus on it more, you know, and just get and just get the stuff done that I wanted to get done. So, um, but, but you know, it's that, you know, I, I I don't know. I mean, I wish I could like like distract myself more with with TV and film, but I I can't seem to do that, which is which is strange for me because I I you know would do that all the time, um, just like all the time. When I was younger, but it's, it's, it's tougher for me to do now. So, right, right. Um, but I think it's just because the anxiety and the the anxiety that stems from uncertainty, and the right. uncertainty is very, um, you know, it's 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 very real. It's very real. Well, it's um, like I was I was telling Chris I was stressed only for like the first week, and like you see, I'm here in my office. I'm just back to work. You know what I mean? And what I found is I called Pamela the Saturday, like after everybody had to start staying home or something. And I was like, girl, I don't know what to do. I'm kind of tripping. You know, I can't go to my office. I can't do this. I can't do that. I don't know what to do. And she was like, I just do you. And she was like, this is the time to slow down. Like Carl was saying, you know, all the things you have going on, you could slow down and focus more. She's like, remember those two projects we were like rushing to do now we could slow down a little bit and really try to get it right i was like oh yeah okay so it kind of put that relax if even if i come here for five hours i only do two i'm not tripping about it before i'd be like fuck i didn't do that thing you know what i mean and now i'm like yeah okay i sat around i actually watched you know something on quibi for an hour (laughs) you know what i mean which i never do i never even go online when i'm here you know what I mean? But now I'm like, okay, I'm going to take more me time to do stuff like that, you know, because usually right. it's work, 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 you know what I mean? So it's really given me a chance to, you know, like, um, I don't know if you know, Carl, I've been directing this documentary for like almost five years now, mm-hmm. um, this, this surf documentary. <clears throat> so we finally, yeah, no problem. So we're, we're in post on it and I have the transcripts and everything. So I'm finally slowly starting to spend like an hour a day just going through the transcripts, building my script. 
Mm-hmm. So every day I'm seeing pages turn. I'm like, oh, boy, I'm on page 23 right now. I didn't realize, you know what I mean? So it's yeah. like slowly coming, whereas before I'd go months and never even look at it. You know what yeah. I mean? Mm-hmm. So now within my five-hour window, I come in from about 12 to five or six, <clears throat> I make sure I put at least an hour of, of working on that, you know? And it's it's a lot because we interviewed over 60 people and all of them were between 20 and 45 minutes long. So you can imagine how many transcripts. Yeah, that's that a lot. Is. And I just got to pull sound bites and different, you know, it's it's hard. Yeah. You know? so. yeah. That's cool. Uh, but going back to what you all were saying about so Chris, can I make a suggestion to you, man? Um, yes, of course. Of course. I think the biggest thing a lot of people are dealing with is admitting to the anxiety. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. for a long time, I mean, it, I'm not gonna lie, it, it hit me a couple, t- there, there've been a couple nights at three in the morning, I'm up, not with my baby, just up like, right. yo, what's, what's gonna be next? Right. And you, you can only worry about it for so long. You know right. what I'm saying? Like, and, it, and, and you also have to, re- it also, what I did was step back and say, I can't personalize this because this is a global pandemic. Right. It's not right. like, why me? Why y'all do this right. like right. that? Right. Everybody in the world can rem- is going to be able to remember this moment. Right. As we move forward, you know what I'm saying? So it's like and we don't know what the normal is going to be like. Every everything is going to be shifted, everything is going to be affected. We're all going to be affected in different ways. So just w- what I did was I used this time to sit back, reflect, and then kind of retap into my joy which watching old films that I used to be excited to watch. Exactly. Like, movies I've watched exactly. 20 times. I know the I know the script. I went right. back and watched some of them. Right. Just just remind myself, you know, I mean I, 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 I watched Do the Right Thing. I watched More Better Blue. I went I went I had a whole Spike Lee film festival <laughs> weeks ago. Just right. tapping into that like, hey, I, I remember I just I, I just remember feeling this while I watched Minister Society. It just you just watch uh-huh. these old school joints. And not just classics like that, but like Man, man, I watched The Last Dragon. Like, <laughs> time out, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, yo, yeah, like vanity. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Some movies don't hold Show up. Enough. Show enough. Show enough. Thirty years later, they don't hold up. But yes. some, it doesn't even matter about that. It's, it's it reminds you of the excitement you had as a kid, right. the right. childlike curiosity, right. and I even put on the show what I know about filmmaking now and just enjoy. This process. I watch Risky Business. I'm like, yo, I mean, okay. you just tap into old school joints and it just, it just helped remind you of your joy. You know what I'm saying? So, well, I mean, look, I mean, I, I, like I said, I haven't watched any television. I have watched some movies. I mean, I, I watched, um, you know, they had this thing on the Criterion channel called, uh, uh, there's like a spotlight on um, Otto Preminger. And I had seen Anatomy of the Murder a couple times. <clears throat> I had never seen this movie he did called Bunny Lake is Missing. I heard about you it. You have not watched Bunny Lake is Missing? <laughs> I have no because I got the DVD sitting on my shelf. Dude! It's dope as shit. Dude. I saw that movie the other night. I was like, God, that's some dope as shit. Dude. 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 Reese Witherspoon was trying to remake that joint, and I was trying to get a gig to try to write that script to rewrite that shit. It's so good. It's and so it's so good. good. So good. But the thing about it is, is that um, what's it about? It's about this 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 woman. She's An moved, unreliable she's narrator. Yeah, this <laughs> woman. She's moved to England, and she drops her 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 four or four or five year old off at school. Mm-hmm. The new Hello, school pre- she's at on the first day, 
and then she goes some to unpack, and when she comes to, to pick up the kid, the kid is gone. <laughs> and she's going crazy because she's like, where's my kid? And the thing is, there's no evidence that her kid was ever even existing. Really? So they're like, you didn't drop off shit, right? Yes. <laughs> uh, uh, and what's crazy is when she's at home, she's like putting out the child's like belongings and shit, and she goes home with the cops, and that shit is all missing. Uh, all missing. It's like it's like a combination of um, oh god, what did I want to say? It's like is it the lady on the train? Mm-hmm. And a mixture of that, and also a mixture of um. Oh God, what's that other movie? Shit, I just had it and then I lost it. It'll come to me. But it's like, it's one of those plots where, which I love, which is the unreliable narrator. Which is you go in thinking think something is one way. It's very Hitchcockian in a way. Oh, completely. And then it's like, as the movie goes through, you're like, well, shit, maybe this bitch didn't have no kid. Maybe, <laughs> maybe I'm delusional and disassociating like she is. And we won't give away the rest of it, but it has like that very, that kind of creepy, unnerving, slow, like, oh God, this is not what I thought it was. It kind of reminds oh, me of- completely. completely. Do you remember, do you remember Sessions 9? Yes. It kind of yeah. has the creep factor of a Sessions 9 where it's like, it's slowly, it's like that slow dread that kind of like, oh God, this isn't what I thought it was. It's so mm. good. And it's one of those classics. And this is why I tell people, if you're going to be a filmmaker, you got to watch these old classics and learn how to use- um, effective story. You don't need all that razzle dazzle. Just really strong characters, and then put them against situations where, you know, you're just throwing shit at them to make their life even more terrible, and trying to figure out how to work it. And it's like such a, a feeling of dread. And it's hard to do dread. It's really yeah. hard to do a yeah. slow yeah. dread crawl. But oh my god, it's one of the, the best things out there. I'm so glad you saw it. Ah, no, you know cool. what? Chris, we, we need to have our own film festival. Like, we just need to go get a projector. We'll social, we'll social distance. You and I will have a little commentary on the side, like Roger Ebert. Talking about it, it's like, and then we're like, black people, let's, pick, let's, let's hit you up on some game here. If you want to talk about learning some film, let's watch some classics. Yeah, I mean, and, and this was cool about it. Like, Carl, what I loved about it is it's black and white, and I'm so angry that no one will do a black and white movie or TV show today. Because you could. But what's cool is, is that, you know, we talk about how Spielberg and a few guys, they use these, you know, like they use the Warner a lot, you know. This guy, Otto Preminger, I'd seen a movie he did a few years ago called In Harm's Way. And he does these extended takes all the fucking time. Like the movie is filled with that shit. And the way he like staged the camera and the actors... And it's just constantly, I mean, it adds to the level of tension. But it's like, as a filmmaker, I'm watching it. I mean, you know, I watched the movie, interested in it, but I would notice shit. I was like, that's a shot that no one would do today. It's dope as fuck. And I don't know why no one's, I, 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 can't, I can't figure out why people would do that shit today. Hey, Chris. Like, uh, what? Ex- explain to the, to the listeners what the extended take is. So, okay, so, like, what happens is the, the movie, so the shot would, get, like, the shots go for, like, you know, 30, 40 seconds, like, maybe a minute. Mm-hmm. With no cut. Without, without a cut. Yeah, because right. yeah, he, he, he's orchestrated the, the moves, so the camera will move, the actors will move, like, like they'll go in a room, and the camera will, like, like will dolly in closer to watch them in the room, then mm-hmm. they'll come back out, it'll turn over, it'll rise up, you know, you know and it'll shift to, I'm going to go through a door, 
you'll see the, the door, you see him go outside, and it's all this, mm-hmm. this longer, longer photography. It's choreographed. It's, yeah, it's so quick. It was also cool is that, you know, the one thing I don't like a lot about today's photography is <clears throat> it's such shallow depth of field. It's right. just like, so it, it, it demands you do so much for uh, cutting, but you can't see the rest of the space. Right. Um, and this is something I realized when I was watching it is I was like, oh, to make those shots work better, the actor's got to move quicker through the frame. They mm. got to move faster to make, because the, cause the camera's moving and they're moving. And, mm. it, it, I was, and so I went back and watched like some Spielberg things without, you know, the music and everything, and it's like, oh, yeah, the actors are moving faster. They, you have to move them faster when you do that because, it, uh, you know, to, to keep the tension going. It's just it's something interesting that, that I never picked up on before, but it was interesting watching that movie. I mean, I you know, and I saw something last night on HBO. I didn't watch it. I just saw a trailer for it. So they're doing, like, a Perry Mason show. On I, saw you, I saw I saw you tweet that. about that. <laughs> I, I didn't like the trailer. And I mean, look, I, yeah, I don't have to show either, but I said to myself, A, they're doing a black and white film noir. Sh- I mean, it's a film noir show. Why not do it in black and white? Yeah. And that's I mean, what made Perry Mason for me. It's like the clothes, know, I mean, the, it, yeah. It'd be cool as shit to the see. Room. Yeah. yeah. It'd be, it'd be do- so, um, I don't know. And let, me, let me ask a question for you and Carl. Um, so you were saying that the, the in, when you're shooting a scene like that with a longer take, are they is does that mean the cameraman has to be ahead of them? They're not following; they're ahead of them. As far as it's, it's a little of both. It's a little, it's sometimes he's leading, sometimes he's following. Right. Like um, I'm watching uh, Money Heist right now, and there was a real cool one in one of the episodes. It starts with. You know, it's a two shot. No, it's a single. It's it's a single character walking. Another character joins them, mm-hmm. cross behind them. Then the camera goes from leading them to behind them, following them. Then hinges into and over the shoulder. It's all one shot. Think yeah. about shots. I mean, I, I love doing wonders. I love doing wonders. They save time. They get everybody gets excited because everybody's engaged because right. the elements that have to go perfectly for it to work, which which is what makes nineteen seventeen. Such a masterful film because you had these masterful wonders, and if you fuck up one thing in minute eight, yeah. you got to go all the way back. It all the way back. You got to mark. <laughs> you cannot land off the tee because you might get blocked or something like that. So uh, when when you do it, but the thing about wonders, man, uh, the audience, and I, I don't know if it's this was music videos that did this, but our attention span has gotten much shorter through the years. Yes. So we need to constantly be like, oh, what's new? What's new? What's new? What's new? As opposed to just one long, nuanced take. Now, what you can do, and Spielberg is a master at this. There are a couple of guys, female directors that are masters. Darnell Martin is another one, where you fill the frame with information fluidly. So you're constantly engaging the audience with new information. Right. right. So you keep so that the tension never, never drops. And that's yeah. the thing. That's another thing I learned, like on. Uh, like on, on, on like the wool shows, if you're going to do a wonder uh, with Arthur Fournay, the minute he loses tension or conflict, it's over. Right. So you got to constantly keep that level of conflict and tension at a high level, and that wonder can go. Right. And watching somebody, like, I hate to use this movie, man, but uh, uh, Once Upon a Time in, 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 in Hollywood. 
watching Brad Pitt drive down the 101 just driving. No, <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, that's terrible. That's terrible. So, you know, yeah, look, 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 everybody already knows how I feel about that movie. <laughs> yeah. No, no, so. he, 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 but, 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 but the, the, that's what I'm talking about. Like, that's a criminal. Like, in, in this movie called In Harm's Way, the way it begins is it begins, it's on Hawaii. It's like a couple of days before D Day. And it begins with this couple comes into this um, party. It's a pool party in the backyard, and it's and, if, and it comes in and follows them close. And and as opposed to like, and this is what guys do are really dope. As opposed to staying with the couple as they you know come in off the, the terrace and walk around the pool, the camera breaks away from them and goes to the other. So 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 they go to the far side of the pool. The camera stays on the near side. And then the camera like raises up. It's on a dolly. Is I mean, it's crane, you know, as well as a dolly. So it's going up, and it's showing you like the whole scope of the party, mm. and it's showing you, and it's so it's, it's and each second it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and, and then it comes back around, you know, like as the couple gets to the main group, and it and it rejoins them. Mm. And I was like, oh, that's a fucking cool ass. It was a really interesting shot. I mean, you see it today. It's, the thing, the thing I like about these these older films is the, the I marvel at them because it's like the camera is the size of a desk, <laughs> right. you know, and there's no, there's no gimbals, there's no steady cam, and so it's still it's, smooth, and it's, it's still it's, smooth. It's, yeah. I mean, sometimes you see little bumps or things like that, but but it's like, but what what you're doing when you're choreographing the actors, the movement, you're showing story, because in in Bunny Lake he would do things where. He, 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 you know, like, like he's shooting a two shot, and then the woman would put something down, and the camera like would move in to see what she put down. So, you know, so something that hey, you should remember this because this is like a piece of the, the, the child's clothing, and, and then it would pivot, you know, like to the left and show the rest of the scene of what they're doing, they're arguing, and it would slowly creep in, like like as they change rooms, you know, and keep showing you more shit. So it's like what Carl said, it's like like there's there's like each shot is telling you so much more. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It's something like something I, I was watching this guy the other day. There's this animator I love. His name is um, Satoshi Kone. He's uh, he's dead. He's a uh, uh, he, he made these interesting like Japanese films, like animation films in the early from like the, from like '98 to like 2007. Mm-hmm. And um, he was talking about how he that he won't make a a uh, a feature film because he can't edit as quickly as he wants to with that he can on animation. And hmm. the reason he, get, he says that the reason I can edit faster animation is is that I don't have to draw as much information, you know, that, so that the, so that. I can show you a frame that's, I mean, an image that's only like, two, that's like three or four frames. And I and I just show you what I need to show you in that image. Like the rest of the background is not there. Mm. And, you know, so, and so therefore your eye is not having to pick up, is not having to decipher what the rest of the frame is. And he was, and he was comparing shots of filmmakers who've stolen stuff from him, like so much Darren Aronofsky and so much stuff from Chris Nolan and like Inception was taken from this guy's work. But he would show a shot where it was like, like here's a shot of a close-up of a guy putting his hand in a wallet. And it's like, and here it is, it's 10 frames. But when he would do the animated, because it was real fast, he, he could do it in four. You know, so it almost feels subliminal. But but he was saying it's because what I'm, and when you stop the, 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 when you stop the shot and look at it, it's like, there's no background. There's just motion lines and the image. 
and I, and, and I was like, oh, that's interesting. And I think that, I mean, that's part of why, and, and then he was saying that, like, that's something that Wes Anderson did in, like, Moonlight Kingdom, when that, when that kid is, like, riding the bike, like, it's, it's mm-hmm. um, he's riding through fog, and all you really see is his handlebars. And he was like, so that's all you can focus on. So you could cut faster because there's there's less information the eye has to pick up in the frame. Mm-hmm. It's just, I know it's, it's interesting to see what, you know, again, it's about like watching older films and new films and seeing what techniques work now, you know, and, and trying to figure out like why, right. you know, that if you could use them now and not be, you know, like accused of doing like something slow. But talking about a slow film, there was another film that I saw that I really, really, really fucking loved. It doesn't say it was slow, but just like the pacing of it was, it was very intense. But it, it just wasn't like, <laughs> like it wasn't chaotic with its shooting style. This movie called Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Oh yeah. And uh, it's just basically it's what I think it's what maybe 17th century French or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it's about this woman. She comes to an island to paint another woman's photo. Like portrait, who doesn't want to be painted because um, as soon as she gets painted, that's gonna, um, like that's part of her like arranged marriage. So she's she's holding off getting painted until then, and then you find it's out a slow, it's a slow painting movie, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, but I mean, but you know, but it's basically it, the whole thing takes place like over like four or five days, and it's just really those two characters. And, you know, and those two women falling in love. Mm-hmm. And it's just told in a really fascinating way because, I mean, the woman who did it, it's like she's like she's able to keep your attention, like the storytelling attention. She's able to keep you so focused. And it's just like a few sets. It's like a bedroom. It's like an outside. It's just a kitchen. Um, because, you know, it's one of the things that I, I realized is like she knows how to compose every shot for like the maximum amount of like tension, you know, like, like the, and it's deep focus. So you're looking at stuff. It's like your eye is never, is your eye like doesn't get dull with what's happening. You know, um, it's, it's really interesting movie. Really interesting movie. What's it called again? Was that a movie? It's, it's called Portrait, Portrait of a Roman on Fire. On fire. Isn't that the one where the actresses walked out on when Roman Polanski won in France? Is that the one? Yes. And yes. they walked out when he got the award and, one yes. of the actresses from that movie got up and stormed out. So French, yes. So dramatic, yes. <laughs> Loved it. Yeah. yeah, she did. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard. I've heard really great things about it. Like I've seen yeah. clips, but I'm gonna wait for that for like next month. That's gonna be a treat when I finish writing the script. So I have like movies lined up that I want to see, but I'm only gonna see them as rewards. So. Yeah. No, that's good. So, yeah. Lisa, you. Sorry to interrupt you, Chris. You were just saying um, writing the script. So what are you, what are you working on now? Are you just well, on your stories? Are you working on a script now? What, what's going on? Um, Firelip Magazine has a deadline next week, I believe it is. And uh, so I'm working on a short story for them. Firelit is the black sci-fi horror magazine. And they've been, like, getting nominated uh, the last couple of years. Like, they really started off as an indie. Like, we're going to start putting out black sci-fi, black horror. Mm-hmm. And I've always been a great supporter of their stuff, but I never submitted anything to them. Mm-hmm. Because I think for their magazine, they have, like, themed issues and they have great artwork for their covers so i'm not good at writing like on a deadline with a theme like i i have to write what i want to write so i've never really been able to send something to them because it's been like a theme 
Right. And I think they had an open submission a couple of years ago and I missed it. So they have one coming up for their July issue. And I'm like, at last. So <laughs> I'm going to send something to them. Um, the screenplay I'm working on now, there's two. There's I'm redoing retrofitting my pilot for um, my TV show I want to do. Because I've been because I've been watching a lot of free Hulu and free CBS streaming. I've been watching a lot of these supernatural shows mm-hmm. and I don't like them. <laughs> and I don't know if it's because as I become more vintage and fabulous that I just don't tolerate not seeing enough black people in supernatural shit. So it's like, I don't like my, my level of tolerance for seeing movies and TV now is very picky. And I hate to say it's because I want to see more black people, but I want to see more black people and shit. Mm -hmm. And I'm tired of seeing the same stuff. So I figured I put enough time and money supporting other folk. So now I just want to write my own shit that takes place mm-hmm. in L.A. So I'm re- redoing the, the, the script that I did, the TV pilot I did a couple of years ago. And I'm also working on another horror script I was telling you about. And I'm working on the Octavia, but- just as a free write. It's just the fun feature script I'm writing based on the Octavia Butler book, which is Clay's Ark. What? Mm-hmm. So I'm writing a couple things for fun. And I'm still writing all my fan fiction. Like I have a lot of people that have been like, hitting me up for my fan fiction because everybody's been like locked down. And there was an interesting article that just came out in Forbes. I think it was this week that was talking about the uptake (laughs) in people reading fan fiction because regular books and publishing is kind of stopped right now. And so more people have been reading and turning to that to comfort them with their anxiety and their depression and the uncertainty, which I thought was fascinating because I know we've, I've talked about it on the podcast before about, other ways of writing that are just fun to get that that pump going and just kind of not writing under deadline, kind of getting back to that childhood, that funness of, that I loved about writing, which is fan fiction, which is basically I'm writing it as soon as it's done, throw it up anonymously mm-hmm. and let it go. But mm-hmm. I've been getting a lot of really nice messages from people who have been telling me like, hey, and the fan fiction I'm writing now is like Attack on Titan. Of course, my Black Panther stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I've also been working on Blade, um, which is uh, the first Blade movie. Some stuff that I thought should have gone down. <laughs> the sister who was the her, you know, right. you want to have a black doctor who knows how to do shit, and mm-hmm. then you don't bring her back to the other movies. Fuck it, I'm writing my own shit. So I've been writing that fun, just just fun, getting up in the morning or late at night. Like I, I find I write a lot of my scripts and stuff in the morning time between like twelve and three, mm-hmm. and then I take a break. I'll read. You know, I'll play with my sister's cat. I'll watch, binge some shows. Then I found that usually between like two and four o'clock in the morning is when I start writing like the fan fiction stuff. When are you sleeping, girl? Uh, (laughs) I sleep usually between like four o'clock to like eight at night. And then I'm back. Like my whole sleep cycle has been messed up because of this. But I figured out a rhythm that works for me because fuck there's nothing i can do like i can't go out and work i can't be around people mm-hmm. so i've been kind of doing my own circadian rhythm like whatever works for me right now and so it's totally the opposite of what i normally do so you know late at night i at early mornings is when i find i write the fan fiction and i've been getting like emails the little messages that you can get from ao3 or wattpad or those places where people can like say shit to you like hey thank you and i've been getting like a bun- bunch of them like the last three weeks, I think I've gotten like 10 or 15. Just like nice notes saying, thank you for, for updating and writing this because this is what I'm using to help me with my anxiety. And this is what I've been reading to kind of keep my mind off all the stuff that's going on in the world. 
And it just made me think, oh, okay, you know, all types of writing, all types of art, all types of creativity in that sense, it's actually helping a lot of people cope with this stuff. So it's been kind of nice getting that kind of like affirmation in terms of, oh, this is just the fun stuff I'm doing late, late, late at night or early morning to kind of offset the deadlines I've set for myself with my writing. And I found, which is weird, I've done more writing now being on lockdown and it's been freeing. And like, I know I do with my anxiety and stuff too, but what I found is this has actually been like a blessing for me. Um, Cause you know, everybody's experience with this whole virus thing is different. I know a lot of my friends have lost their jobs and they're coping too. But for me, where I worked, I was like the boss and responsible for everything. So it's been freeing to not be responsible for anybody else but me at this point. And because of that, I've been able to like indulge in things that I haven't been able to do because I've been under so much pressure to be running a camp and running stuff and, you know, taking care of my mom and doing all kinds of stuff. So I've been running like a shit ton of stuff. I'm excited because when we get through this, it's kind of like, all right, I'm gearing up to get back in. It's like, all right, I got to start pitching this shit and get back into the groove because I've pulled back from a lot of that so much just, you know, taking care of family, doing that kind of stuff, that it's like, I'm actually looking forward to seeing how much writing I can get done and knowing I can write fast when I can, when I really want to do it, I can do it. But the number and output that I've been doing has been really, I don't know, it's been astonishing for me because it's like, oh, you got to find time to write. I'm like, bitch, I'm like writing shit. Like, why was I not doing this last year? And I realized, oh, because I was running shit. I was the boss. I was like responsible for so much shit. And it's like, now I'm free to like, really just, to just write. And well, to, to jump on your okay. point, Chris, talking about the anxiety, it has been really, and fine, like you said, Carl, too, finding your joy. I've been watching old 70s black films, like, <laughs> Claude, like Claudine. Oh my God, Lawrence Hill Jacob. I'm telling you, black men in the 70s, they don't make them like that no more. Oh my God, oh my God. Black people were just fabulous. But I've been watching like, roller skating videos from Chicago to Detroit, like folks just going roller skating culture. I've been watching Chicago stepping videos, just really immersing myself in black excellence, like real black excellence, Mm -hmm. like just black cultural shit that's just brings me so much happiness seeing black people just be (laughs) their black selves. But on the same time like that, also reading a lot of Octavia Butler, Mm -hmm. also reading a lot of... um, books and novels that talked about dystopian futures and really looking about how what we predicted is not what's really happening right now, you know, and kind of juxtaposing those two things. So I don't know. It's been creative, freeing, anxiety-inducing, and, you know, but I'm writing. Let me ask Carl. Let me. Here's a question for you, Carl. So we know that you're a writer and a director. I think your bread and butter right now is being a director. But now that we're in this Rona time, how are you, besides, you know, taking care of your body and eating and whatever, how are you, because you can't just direct, like you can't be like Chris and just start directing music videos in your bedroom and shit. Um, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So what are you, are you finding yourself actually getting back to writing a little bit? Like what's, what's going on? I'm actually working on a, there's, I have a group that we're working on a mini series right now. Oh, nice. So we're getting that together. And so two things, uh, I'm not like, I'm not like writing, writing. I've never been a writer, writer in that regard. I kind of write out of necessity. So outside of the mini series, what I have been doing is really strengthening my craft as a filmmaker. Mm. So, I, so I, I approach it like, uh, man, dude, I, I, I really like, there's a podcast I listen to as well called All the Smoke. 
Right. About NBA athletes. And it's amazing, man. Have, and they have other athletes on, and they, they go in on the craft of basketball. Right. And each other's process and so forth. And they also talk about Kobe and, and Michael Jordan and all that. And they talk about the greats and what the greats did to become great. Mm-hmm. Which, which propelled me to take a page out of their book. Like, you know what? This is my time. This is my off-season to strengthen my jump shot. There you go. Crossover, to really mm-hmm. strengthen my fundamentals so right. that you get back in that chair, right. my growth potential and my time potential has, has jumped, you know, exponentially. So right. I'm studying, I mean, I'm, and I'm, I'm doing things that aren't, I'm not like reading necessarily books about directing. I'm reading books on like body language. Right. Textual analysis. Right. Know, how to find what something is about faster so I can mm-hmm. be more efficient. So part of my brain is is on you know the miniseries working on the other part is fortifying my uh, my my capabilities as a director. So that's yeah. how I'm balancing that. And then man, and then just you know watching old shit that I hadn't watched in years, catching up on shows that have been in the queue forever. Like I right, I don't know when I get to it. Like well now I got the time to get to it. <laughs> and and then, and and not watching the news, man. At one point in time, we were like, that's a big one. Yeah, we had Say to shut down because that that. Get, Psyche, and that'll fuck it. That'll have you up at three or four in the morning. Like, oh, yeah. okay, should we just jump? Should we just end it? You know what I'm saying? So I'm like, nah, we're gonna the, news. the news is gonna be all right. You know, I, okay. I give myself a certain amount of five, maybe ten minutes of news in the morning, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Because you get too much of it, then it starts really getting dystopian. Like, oh wow, all is lost. Right. Right. All is lost. You know what I'm saying? Right. So, well, you know what? I don't even watch American news anymore. <laughs> I'm up here watching El Jazeera because I'm okay. like, you know what? El Jazeera. Yeah, CBC because they're not, they're not, yep. there's, there's very little Trump's bullshit. There are a lot more. I realize that they're not they're not forced to make ratings. This, I mean, they make entertainment the way that we have to do with our news. So it's just, it's just you know, it's just, just I don't want to say it's, it's boring because it's all kind of like glitched up because they watched us. But they're not trying to be as as um, uh, as sensationalized, exactly. and they do take Trump to task in in a way that they won't over here, you know. They, which I which I find refreshing because I'm like, call the motherfucker a liar, you know. If if you're gonna cover him, like like say he's talking bullshit, but whatever it is, you know. I mean, you know, it's just what's more interesting to see. A perspective that's not tainted by, um, you know, not tainted by the money. I mean, I, I mean, obviously, El Jazeera has to make money because it's like, it's not just not like PBS, but um, it's different. It, I, I mean, you know, it, it, and just because the minute I see some shit from like CNN or some little sound clip from, I'm just like, these motherfuckers over here, they're <laughs> on such a level of trying to like, you know, trying to fuck with us. I mean, you know, it's like yesterday I was talking with you. Know, like yesterday, you know, your boy from um, uh, uh, North Korea. You know, he's so 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 he's dead. Is right? he really dead? Yeah, he's I saw. Not, no, 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 no. Is he really dead? No, he's not dead, but he's in a vegetative state. You what know? happened to him? Did he, he have some having, kind of surgery? He's having heart surgery, and he had complications, mm. and he hasn't woken up. And there was someone on one of these, you know, someone like it was on these international channels, and this guy said, "Who do you know who has who has you know like who, who has come out of a vegetative state?" 
I was like, that, I was like, that's a good point. Mm. This motherfucker did, you know. But <laughs> his, his sister's gonna roll up in there, you know. But then I noticed, I noticed someone on Twitter, someone was like, you know what? No who's one next? could write this. Who's next in line there? His sister. His sister. Yeah. It was crazy. Oh, great. But to me, I said to myself, this is a chance for them to actually cut all that dictator shit out mm-hmm. and join the rest of the world if mm. they want to. Right. Who knows if they want to? Well, if anything, man, I've realized in during this entire pandemic is first how how inept America is and how we have gotten really good at the gloss and the glam and the pomp and the circumstance. We've gotten so good at it that we haven't been able to fortify that pomp and circumstance. So that and that pomp has been pulled apart like that's been shredded. So it's not it's, so this inactivity or lack of action or lack of preparation has exposed us in ways we couldn't imagine. Number one. And then number two, it just shows you how how capitalism it doesn't necessarily erode, it just consumes the moral fiber of any situation. Everything. Everybody's all I mean, people still just price gouging and going for the dollar and hoarding the dollar and I mean it just <laughs> it shows you how greed is made. Greed will make you compromise certain things. Like it's not right, but people are like, well, it's it's business. It's it's business. So it just makes you look at things like, wow, this is like the stock market and people losing their shirts and everything like that. Everything that has always been considered a given mm-hmm. is no longer given. And man, people are showing their ass right now. My goodness, oh my goodness, <laughs> they, they are really showing their ass. They are showing their ass right now. <laughs> I mean, I, I was out here. Was that Thursday or was that Friday? Friday. They were protesting the city hall, wanting to reopen California. <laughs> white folks too, right? All white folks. Come on, there man. There might not be one black person that I would punch him in their throat. I, I, I didn't see I would any. punch him in their throat. I just, but these folks were passionate, yeah. adamant, and felt like they were like being wronged by yeah. some. They, they, they're trying to find this bad guy. I'm like, that's what makes this pandemic so unique because this isn't an alien invasion. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? You can't even see this virus right. and it'll fuck you up. And right. like reopen the state, blah, 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 and all this kind of stuff. Now, now somebody, there was a a caravan of cars that were saying uh, no jobs, no rent. Basically, if we're not working, we shouldn't have to pay rent. Exactly. Right. And they had a whole caravan of folks on that, man. So, I mean, these protests are definitely a trip. It's just, it's I'm, just, I'm for that part of it. <laughs> you see what happened? I'm for that part of it, by the way. Okay. Oh, yeah. I ain't getting yeah. money. Ain't none of you mofos get money. That's what I told everybody. America's about to all my, I ain't get money, you ain't get money. When I get it, you get it. And I wish you would come over here and say something. I wish you would come over here and say something. Because <laughs> you won't, and it'll be six feet away. <laughs> but you know, but you know uh, it's interesting because, as you guys know, you know, I have family in Italy, so I get like the inside scoop of what's going on over there. And mm. one of the great joys of this whole thing is, like you said, Carl, it's like the emperor's new clothes. Like, I've always knew our country's been trash. That's <laughs> forever. I love it because black people, we made it, but it's still trash. But to see that people are no longer listening to the United States, and like that has been my dream since I was five. Like, if people would just not just do their own country stuff and not try to follow what we do, because we really don't know what we're doing, and now that facade is crumbled. And now people are realizing that, you know, we're kind of, it's kind of freeing a little bit to kind of get away from the whole American ideal because we've been pushing ourselves as the end all to be all. 
And it's going to be really interesting when we start to get back to this new normal, how that's going to affect our politics, how it's going to affect our art as writers and directors, <laughs> how we view things, how we put out content now. Um, because literally it's going to be like BC and AC before Corona and after Corona in terms of the art. <laughs> and it's going to be interesting in terms of the stories that come out, like, you know, especially the domain in our life, which is sci-fi and horror, how people are going to, in crisis, you know, in crisis in America, our art always reflects it in some kind of way, you know, right. whether it be some type of like, not necessarily on the nose stuff, but and how we express our anxiety about this time. So I'm going to be really curious to see what, writers, directors, artists are really going to be putting out the next couple of years mm -hmm. and how we process this. Because this shit, like, so many people unemployed. Like, this shit, like, we always worried about, what, earthquakes or atomic attacks, alien invasions. No, it's a virus that you can't see. Mm -hmm. And what's scary is you could have it and be asymptomatic and not know you're past it. It's like, literally, it is invasion of the body snatchers. Right. Like, it could be you, somebody could have had it, and they look fine, and it's like invaders from Mars. It's like all that scary surface level stuff, and there's no control over it. It's not like the pox, you know, if you get like the measles or tuberculosis, where it's like, it's visible, oh, we got it, we can get you, it's there. Mm -hmm. No, it's a regular person in the grocery store saying, hi, how's it going? And next thing you know, five people done died. And... It's not who we thought it was. Before, remember, it was the older people, people with, you know, pre-existing conditions. I've been reading shit with people, like, athletic in their 30s and 20s. Got it one day, dead the next day. So mm -hmm. it's that kind of visceral scary. But I'm really curious and really looking forward to seeing how we process this as writers and artists and putting out new stories and new narratives. Right. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Well, see, it's interesting because <laughs> I, I think what you're talking about Carl in terms about the story the and at least about the myth of the United States. I was like I was like, you know, finally, hopefully rugged individualism, John Wayne mythos does not work. You know, like like that can be killed finally. Exactly. Because I realize all these people who are out here protesting and want shit open and stuff like that. People who are still clinging to that mythology. Exactly. And it's like, you know what? That shit's, you know what? That shit, it was a lie in the first place. And now <laughs> it's, being, it's just really being exposed of, 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 of our figures. I mean, like, you know, like the first few weeks of the, the, the lockdown, I was telling everyone, I said, yes, yeah, in, in the future, if I don't see Mickey Rourke as our president in these movies, <laughs> because... You know, you know. I mean, not that he's an egocentric, but he can play that egocentric kind of like, you know, like I mean, like he'd be a good analog for a fuck up like Trump, you know, um, because because you because because you can't have Morgan Freeman be the president no more. No, you can't. It's like no. I mean, you they, they have God be the president. Yeah, no. that brain that brain has been shattered now. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. completely shattered. I mean, and it's a good thing that it's been shattered because, like you said, Lisa, it's like. It's bullshit. What's been what's been rolling out for a long fucking time, um, and you know, I, I mean, like America's just America has just done so much dirt, uh, like, like globally, and most people don't even know it. You know, like you still, you know, you know, I, you know, I, I love this podcast called um, 
called uh, Through Line, and it's on NPR, and it's about like it's about like stuff what in the past has affected today. And I remember they did one about um, the Iranian Revolution. Can you can, remember that guy they killed? Like in uh, um, his name was um, Suleiman, like the general. They killed him in December. You know that 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 there was a direct like that he was Iranian and they killed him in, in Iraq. And they went back and showed how like oh well you know the reason why the Iranians hate us and we hate them is not because of the '79 hostage crisis. The '79 hostage crisis was a result of the of the CIA like you know put in a dictator, you know, and, and get rid of their, their Democratic elected president back in the 50s. So it's kind of like this tit for tat, tit for tat. And it's just like, and you hear about all these little stories where America was, was, was just rolling out and just being subversive as shit. And it all goes back to what you're saying, Carl, about capitalism. Because they were, you know, because they were doing shit because they wanted cheaper resources. And they wanted so much cheaper resources. So, you know, so the small group of people, the 1% shareholders and shit like that, you know, the, the board members, you know, can get more and more money and the rest of it can't across the globe. Yeah. You know? yeah. Well, I mean, what's, what's been interesting for me is in terms of like art, commerce and Corona <laughs> has been, I, I don't know if you guys watched it because I know I tweeted about it. Uh, when they were having the versus battles with all the producers and the music and how, and like I know Questlove has been doing the nightly DJ and that I've been taking partaking in just like listening to how they're be taking small platforms and actually creating art that people want to see that doesn't cost anything and it's just joyful and awesome and how artists who can only think in capitalist terms want to monetize shit and how it went from when we talked about uh, online about Babyface and Teddy Riley and how Teddy was just doing too much it was like a perfect example of when you just do art that gives joy to people and gives them comfort and then taps into that, I don't know, that creative side that we all enjoy. But when you try to like overdo it, <laughs> it doesn't work. And how now they try to take this platform and trying to monetize it and being really extra with it and charging people who have no money to try to kind of watch this shit. Um, it's really difficult for people to break away from capitalism and trying to monetize everything with art to the point of we can be in the middle of a pandemic and people are still asking poor folks to fund everything. <laughs> when you have all these billionaires talking about we're going to have all these platforms where we're going to have a fundraiser. No, bitch, you're the 1%. How about you fund it? I mean, it just shows you how deeply capitalism is ingrained in our DNA. You can't even, can't even like give people joy without charging them for it. You have preachers asking their congregations to, you know, give up portions of their stimulus checks, you know, to tithe. I mean, and and and, and the congregation is like, yeah, you're right. This is a part of it. So capitalism is so attached to our. I don't know how you can excise that from America's DNA because they go hand in hand. Right. You well, can't right. the other. Well, right. Here's the thing. It's interesting. I heard this guy talking the other day. He was saying <laughs> that the whole generation of kids. Who, for the last the last twelve years, have seen the complete negative side of capitalism. So you know, and then, and those people are now getting older now. I mean, like 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 whoever was maybe fifteen in two thousand eight, 
victims now are the people who are, who've seen capitalism is not good for nobody. And you know, and and then now we're in this environment now where we're gonna see that the you know that capitalism is all fucking exploiting. I mean, there's all this bullshit about like you know the masks are being hoarded and you can't get those to people and, and who's got to pay and, and is there gonna be like a universal you know like basic income like to keep people satisfied until they figure out what to do with this virus thing? And it's kind of like, well, I mean, it's a it's it's I I think in the I think there's so many people now who are so disenchanted with it who are making stuff or going to be making stuff or or more importantly are are the, are the audience you know that, that we might see some sort of break i mean to me it's like i've always felt like and it's something that's you know it's something it's kind of like a running theme that i've always looked at is like you know like how do you indict capitalism in your work but not show it so that it makes you look like you're like a socialist um, I mean, it's, it's wild because it, I, I mean, but you know, what's funny. I just remember this, um, several years ago, I did this movie called fuck you pay me this little short film. And I was trying to adapt into a, to a television show one time. And I was trying to figure out, you know, set it up in the future where there's like, there's all these tight social controls and shit like this. And I was trying to figure out, you know, the reason why, that you know, it like is there some like economic reason why what's happening is was you know this could happen, and I remember I wrote this paragraph like uh, uh, there's they they're interviewing this little documentary rolling as kind of like the narrative in the piece, and there's this, this this Nobel scientist who's saying well you know the problem with the the problem with what happened is with late stage capitalism is there was never a a huge um, uh, there was no no huge event at the end of the 20th century, the top of the 21st century, that you know that caused the world to contract. And he's like, and if you go back in history, there's always these moments that cause contraction, like the two world wars. Before right. that, there was you know there was other wars that, that did everything to like keep population down, you know, to, to, you know to to, to 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 retard progress somewhat. And we and we had we and we hadn't had one of those. I mean, it's been 80 years since World War II is over, right? And it's like, has there been anything to stop, you know, like, like the progress of the the growth of humanity and capitalism and industrialization in those 80 years? There hasn't been. And it's just, uh, it's, I I think it, I think it's a, a big time for a change. I, I heard this thing like when Mao Zedong was talking about the the the, the these famines that were going on in the in the sixties in China, he was saying, "Well, well, you know, there's this, there's there's two and a half billion people in the world, some people have to die, which is fucked up because that's Mao's is crazy." But I said to myself, "This is in the sixties, and he's saying there's two and a half billion people in the world, and now that we are sixty years later, and there's seven eight, billion, there's eight, seven, eight billion people. Like right. the 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 growth is insane." And it's just, I mean, it's, I, I think there's just going to be a pullback on people like look at what we do to sustain ourselves in terms of like the, the economic models. Well, anytime you have governors in Texas verbally stating on TV, some people are just <laughs> going to have to die. There's more things worse than living and, to keep and capitalism worse. going and said it with a fucking straight face. And so, worse, 
you have people in the audience, not sorry to interrupt you, Lisa. Yeah. They're, they're carrying the placards talking about weed out the week or some shit. <laughs> like, let them go. Let the, let the sick die. I'm like, what? And it's like, <laughs> but here's the thing. And to tie it into in terms of writing and new narratives, right now, every single country on the planet is dealing with this pandemic. It's global. It's not like, oh, it's a few countries. We've been very comfortable in this country when shit has happened other places. Ebola, HR, SAR, all that shit. It was always, oh, over there. You know, those people, you know, we're the monolith. We, we got shit control. We're, we're good. It might be a couple Americans that might die that might be in those countries, but oh, well, they were over there. Fuck them. We're good. <laughs> now that it's the through line through everybody's fucking life on the planet, my concern is if these countries don't start to create new narratives on how they create their world. We're going to go back to the same old, same old. I don't think our country can handle that because clearly essential workers are all the people we have not been paying that have been keeping everybody afloat. Billionaires, uh, corporate business people, people in, in, I hate to say it, Carl, because I know it's in you guys, it's your bread and butter. Celebrities, (laughs) people who have been put on this pedestal who have been like, Oh, the end all, the be all. Now we're seeing that they ain't shit. And every time they open their mouth on social media, it's like, <laughs> shut the fuck up. Don't say shit. Mm-hmm. Be quiet. If you can't be like Rihanna and just move your money and shut your mouth and handle your business, we don't want to hear shit from you because <laughs> you're showing your ass right now. I don't know how this country is going to go back to normal. And if it tries to, I don't think people are going to handle it very well. I don't know how our storytelling is going to look. Because I think right now people are so, they're so, uh, the trauma of this, I don't think we're going to be able to watch TV and films the same way ever again, because it's going to feel so facile, it's going to be feel so ingenuous, it's going to feel so, I kind of want to go back and really study after World Wars how the films that we were putting out, like a lot of musicals, a lot of happy, oh, take your mind off of it. Things, yeah, yeah. How... I, I don't know. My well, mom's no, like, no, no, I don't no, know. But, How, what are we gonna? What are we gonna no, put out? To, yeah, wait, to wait, wait, but, okay, but look, this this, this answers your question. After World War, if you look at the movies in the late thirties and the mid and the, the, the early the late thirties and the early forties, we got stuff like Gone with the Wind. You have stuff like you know, like Wizard of Oz. Wizard of Oz, yeah. At the, the end of the World War Two gave the birth to the film noir movement. You know, because people... So it's, it's going to come back to dark films then. Yeah, I mean, well, in, in, in terms of the morality of, you know, people hadn't seen that before. You know, like like those type of, like, dark type of characters and, and that, that moral gray or the moral black. Anti-heroes. Yeah, I mean, but, you know, I mean, it's like, I, like, I tell people all the time, you know, like, um, I mean, the type of movies you see in some of those film noirs where it's like, the hero does. The hero does is the he, he makes all the right choices and still gets fucked. You know, like that's not something that you, that you see that much anymore. You know, like so we're gonna, so we gonna get some Chinatown stuff coming out. Is what you're yeah. saying? Chinatown. We yeah. get some, yeah. some yeah. part of the past. We, well, we kind of what you're saying, though, Lisa. It, I, I think it, it's gonna be a pivot of authenticity is going to shift. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because, and everybody's looking. Everybody's always looking for a deeper form of authenticity. And you're right. You, you said earlier, yeah, pre-corona and after-corona, you can't ignore how this has affected all of us. 
So because of that, there's going to be a new authenticity that we're going to be looking for in our mm-hmm. storytelling. Now, I do disagree with you about the whole celebrity thing because what I've noticed, especially on social media these last couple of weeks, people are more celebrity-driven now than ever. Because I remember when, the, when D-Nice was doing his thing, that everything, the main thing everybody was talking about were all the stars uh, that oh, were... Yeah. Michelle Obama and all of them, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Everybody's talking about what the celebrities are doing. So it's still a very celebrity-driven culture. I don't know if that necessarily has a lot of value long-term, but... Right. Um, from the from the, as from a bystander standpoint, people are still very driven to by what celebrities are saying, what they're doing, and look at them as as leaders. Well, on the flip side of that, in terms of those who are like doing their little salt, like I know that the people who did who sang the Imagine song got dragged because <laughs> people are like y'all sitting up in y'all mansions, <laughs> telling the rest of us, "Oh, Imagine," and we're like. No, bitch, I can't even, I'm worried about what I'm going to eat tomorrow. I can't even go outside and go get food. And y'all singing to me like, oh, it's going to be happy. Yeah, happy for you because you're quite comfortable right now. I know that Ellen DeGeneres was getting some stuff when she was making those jokes about. So there's been some good celebrity stuff, but a lot of it, I think a lot of people are starting to look at it as if it's y'all not as cool as we thought because I'll put it this way. Not all celebrities. I'll say it's certain celebrities have been really not able to read the room <laughs> oh, yeah. and certain things. No, and no, certain things. Yeah, absolutely right. Because, because look, because... I'll preface it that way. That's a better way of describing yeah, because, it. Because when Ellen DeGeneres said, now granted, she lives on a ranch. She's, it's, it's like being in jail. I was like, bitch, are you tripping? Because I'm coming, a ranch. I'm, I'm coming to your house and we're going to be locked up in that jail. Yeah, because, you know, because if you're sitting around, because a, a jail is what, a six by nine cell, you know, that's, yeah. So you're right. Like, you can't read the room. I mean, I know she was trying to be funny because she's a comedian, but it's like you living in a world that's not, that, that you're so unaware of what's, of what's really going on and how people are really, I mean, you know, and, and prior to this, it lets me know that you don't, that you think prison reform is about something else you know it's yeah. i mean it shows me you know you, you got no idea what's really going on in the society um or don't care yeah I don't care i mean yeah. americans are really good at being so dis. if, if it doesn't affect you directly uh-huh. you don't give a fuck about it that's basically oh been my god that's the ethos yep. like, until until they come home until it comes home until it comes home I don't care, you know, and that that's why, I mean, you go back to the 80s when crack was killing all of us, right. our families in different ways and ways you can't even imagine. Mm-hmm. Those that didn't know anything about it didn't give a fuck about it right. until meth started happening decades later and hitting their families like, oh, you all are dealing with what we dealt with back in the mid 80s, late 80s, early 90s and so forth. So, But that's a, but that's a nicer name, the opioid crisis. <laughs> I mean, that even, that should say something. Yeah. I mean, they, they yeah. gave a, a, a nicer name, give it another yes. polish. It's the same shit, man. Right. And like I said, until it affects you directly. I mean, you crack, HIV, all of these different things. If it, if it doesn't affect me directly, I don't give a fuck about it. I mean, think about it like this. Remember, <clears throat> now you and I come from, I and mean, I know Lisa too. We grew up in really bad neighborhoods. <laughs> you know what I mean? How, how many times growing up have you heard stories about you know some drive by and like four or five people got killed? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Which is the same that happens in a white neighborhood. And now what's a big thing that four people, 
four or five people. We're like, that happened yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. That, that's going to happen next week. We just expect right. you got to watch your back. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it, okay. it's just funny until it comes to their home. Yeah. It's not a big thing. I'm watching that thing on uh, HBO about the Atlanta murders of all the, the black kids back in the, right. in the, in the 70s. Right. And it was like over 30 something black kids, like sure. mainly yeah. boys. And they were talking that they were interviewing somebody and they were talking about how that um, was it um, Ramsey, Janelle Ramsey, what's her name? Um, the little white girl. And they were, uh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, uh, uh, Ramsey. 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 Yeah. And, and like when she was when she was um, missing, like it became this huge thing. And you had all these black kids who were missing in Atlanta you know, uh, for all this time. And it was like hardly getting any press or, or anything like during the time. Mm-hmm. And and they have one white person missing and the whole world knows about this. She's on the cover of magazines and you know what I mean? So there's it's a, a different... For, there's for a name for it. It's, it's called the missing white girl syndrome. It's an actual syndrome yeah. where literally... No, it's just, if you look it up, it's a real syndrome. Whereas if a white woman or a white girl gets missing, the whole world stops. But a couple of mm-hmm. black kids... Because eh. I remember when the Atlanta child murders were happening when I was a kid, back in the days before children, before there was like the internet, when it was like the grapevine, word of mouth. Like, I remember being scared in San Diego. The 70s somebody was a was scary going, time. 70, it was scary. Mass murders, helter-skelter. I remember the Jackson, the Jackson <laughs> 5, the Jackson 5 fam, Michael Jackson, the Jacksons, they were doing concert fundraisers to raise money to help figure out what was going on with these black kids. People forget about that shit. Yeah. And it was like, we were scared. But let little John Bonet, little Goldilocks get missing. Next thing you know, oh my Lord. Yeah, that's the thing that's fun. You know, they, they you know, that that second season of that movie, that show called Mind Hunters, was all about the the, the line of child murderers. And what's interesting is that there was a um, you know, like a, uh it's not touched on in that show, but it was a podcast that talked about it. It's like um I think Frank Sinatra, like he put on a concert down there, and mm-hmm. and, and Muhammad Ali put like five hundred thousand yep. dollars right in. Yep. And but but what was fucked up because it's America, that money disappeared. Mm. All that money disappeared. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, goddamn. But yeah, but you're right about that. I mean, like, like people forgot about. Like, I remember, I just remember that changed. You know, that changed America because they would always say at the end of those broadcasts, you know, do you know where your children are? Mm-hmm. And it and and it was started off as something there in Atlanta. Bill and Cosby was, had a commercial about that shit. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And then right and a few years after that, that's when we started to see the rise of children's pictures on milk cartons. Right. Yep. Missing yep. children. So it kinda there was like this this era that it started to slide into it. The sad thing now is now it's not a big deal to see a child's picture on a flyer or a milk carton, you know, or yeah. here or Amber Alert. People are like, oh, somebody's child's in this thing. Oh, there's a driver's license. Uh, yeah. It's not near my neighborhood. Uh, doesn't affect me. But mm-hmm. that's what's so, what's so disappointing about what's happening with this pandemic in terms of how Americans are reacting to it. The fact that, and I know a lot of it has to come from the information that's been coming out in terms of Black people being more affected by it, not because we are... DNA wise susceptible to it, but because we tend to be more the essential workers and having to rely on public stuff um, and interact with people more because a lot of our jobs and things like that. And yeah. because of America. <laughs> because some of us don't believe it's, uh, some of us don't, don't believe it's and real. Some of us believe it's real. We're not going to get it. Our <laughs> melon's going to protect us. 
But the fact that that information has been coming out and a lot more people are starting to feel like I want to do what I want to do and I don't even care about anybody else. And I remember thinking like, wow, when they were trying to get information out in terms of, well, if you go out, it's not necessarily because you have it, but because you don't, even if you did have it, you don't want to pass it on to somebody else. You just want to be careful for that too. The fact that people are so willing to be like, fuck it, I want to go out and do what I want to do. I don't care about you and your people. I never thought at that level that we would reach that that quickly. I thought, okay, maybe a few more months in, people will start to act that way. But it was by week two. (laughs) 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 People were like, and and that's why I had to put out those tweets a couple uh, last week when I said, you know, Rick in The Walking Dead, Mm -hmm. not at one point did Rick say, fuck it, I need to go out and get this beard and my haircut and this beard trim. <laughs> I don't care if I get bit and bring the zombie shit back to the compound. I gotta, I, gotta, I gotta get hooked up. Or, you know, the bird box. Right. Fuck these kids, I need a massage. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> the shit that we're seeing now in terms of the level of just, I don't give a fuck about nobody else, I gotta have what I, what I gotta have for a haircut and I know just, black just people. That, are, that person with the, the thing around them, they were cutting somebody's hair. <laughs> but hilarious. so many, but I was talking to my cousin because my cousin's a flight attendant for uh, Delta and she lives in Atlanta with my uncle. And she takes care of my uncle who just recently had hip surgery. So he's susceptible to anything down there. Mm-hmm. And just, I mean, I thought my black people's, we'd be like, we've been through so much shit. Like black people, I have so much higher expectations for us. Like people, don't you know us? But even them down there, it's like, I got to get, bruh, I got to get my shit lined up. I can't be sitting in the house looking, who cares if you're looking raggedy right now? Twist your <laughs> shit up. Like, come on, get the fro popping. Like, get, wear a beard, for God's sake. But it's like, yeah, we're, so, we're so trained to, like, got to have this certain lifestyle that we're willing to put ourselves and other people at risk. I just can't do it. I can't do it. And I just... It's I'm called American entitlement. American I, I, entitlement. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. sad about us. I mean, Amer- Americans have an entitlement, a sense of entitlement. All of us, even those that are oppressed, have yeah. a sense of entitlement and a sense of privilege. And this attitude, I'll do something, just don't tell me what I can't do. Right. You know what I'm saying? I, and that's where all these protests are coming from, because people yeah. stay at home. Like, I can do whatever the fuck I want to do. You're right. violating rights. I saw some protesters compare themselves to fucking Rosa Parks. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I wanted to Come fight. On. Like, please. Come on, man. I mean, it just shows you where, where we are, you know, mentally. And how- I have the right to sit down and, and, and a Chili's. <laughs> Power of privilege can drive you in ways that are counterproductive right. you. But I've been looking like a lot of the news in the Caribbean, because I love looking at Caribbean news all the way from like Trinidad, St. Lucia to Jamaica. And I think it was the St. Lucian prime minister. Well, she had to get on the news and tell people, look, if you ain't got no bread in your house, you better mm-hmm. eat some crackers. She's yeah. like, we should, she told them, like, we always know when hurricane season comes to have at least two weeks worth of supplies ready to go. Right. And she basically told people on the news, unlike our president, you need to make do with what you got. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, we ain't gonna make it. And I'm like, why can't we have somebody like that say, and I'm always thinking, what if this happened during Obama's era? Like, what would Obama say to us, even though shit would be fucked up? What kind words would him and Michelle give us to, like, even if it's a lie, even if he knows that shit is really bad? <laughs> at least I feel like Brother Man would, like, at least smooth it a little bit. He wears a little tan suit, have his hair crisp up. He would come up and tell us, 
Michelle would be right there with the children. Bo, the dog, would be right there, and he would like oh, make God. us feel <laughs> comfortable. Like he would make us feel comfortable. Like shit is bad, but is America? No, we got this Cheeto dude who can't even like get through any type of broadcast without insulting somebody. And God forbid you be a woman. Because he's not prepared. He was prepared. He ain't prepared. But because he's Obama prepared. did it, he's winging it. He That's why he's the whole prepared. pandemic thing. But what's so fucked up about it was George Bush, the most incompetent of the incompetents, read a book about the 1918 Spanish flu. First of all, that bitch don't read no books. So the fact that he read a book <laughs> lets you know how serious it affected him. The right. fact that he put in place before Obama got into office was so frightened about what potentially could happen. This motherfucker who was a part of a dynasty that started wars that got us fucked up in the first place. Mm-hmm. This motherfucker read a book <laughs> and put in place a plan. When Satan puts in place a plan, just <laughs> fucked up. Came to Obama and said, fuck our divisions in terms of what party. Negro, shit is about to pop off. We need to be ready. Obama put it in place. There's video showing him saying, we need to get ready. This new motherfucker came and said, we can't have a black man telling us what we're doing. Fuck all that shit. And now we are where we are. Well, yeah, you know, it's funny. Writers, what are we going to do? Writers, what are we going to do? Like, like there was an article I read. The the guy that Trump put in charge of the pandemic task force. The Labradoodle guy? Yeah. (laughs) A dog breeder. A dog breeder. A dog breeder is is not a, is it doesn't know shit about shit. How's he gonna? I mean, yeah, he used to, I mean, but see, I think George W. Bush, because when he was in, that's when SARS was around. Yep. And mm-hmm. SARS and MERS. H one N one. Yeah. Yeah, and that's why he probably got a little, and that's probably probably why he read that book. He was like, oh, okay, and then well, and see, the thing is, the H one N one, that's the Spanish flu. Yeah, and that's just you know it's still around a hundred years later. There's no is that the vaccine, bird flu? huh? Is that the bird flu? No, it's different. Oh. Yeah, the bird yeah. flu is the, the one. It's the one. It's the one that messed us up in 1918. Oh, Philly, yeah. Philly right. got fucked up. San Francisco got fucked up during it because we don't learn from history. Americans right. disregard. We act like we love history, but we disregard it because the moment in 1918. When they thought the first wave had hit, they had those parades. They had people going out. Yay! It's the sunshine. Let's go. It was kind of like that scene in The Wiz. Can you feel a brand new day? And then all the motherfuckers died. More people died in 1918 from the Spanish flu than a whole goddamn First World War. Wow. Yeah. Because, people, because people couldn't stay in the goddamn house for a month and just hold tight. And let people who need to die because they couldn't get past it to die to save the rest of us. Because no goddamn it, they have to go out and get a haircut and be outside and be American because our rights, our rights, our freedoms. And I'm like, you know what? That's why a bitch gonna stay in the house. Well, see, you know, it's interesting. We talk about, about, the, the, about the misinformation and shit like that. I mean, the reason why, the, like, I never knew it was called the Spanish flu until recently. It's not out of Spain. They, the, the, the first cases of it were in like Missouri and in China. Right. It was, called, it was called the Spanish flu because all the governments that were involved in World War One had a, there's a mandate to never put really um, 
uh, distressing news on the on, like on the front page of the magazines or stuff like that. Right. But Spain was neutral and they didn't, you know, like abide by that. So so the people who were, who were reporting about it were in Spain, and that's why right. it's called Spanish flu. It's, it's right. not not from Spain. Right. Which is, it's it was interesting. Um. But but it goes back to it's like the the, the government people you know, don't want to give you the right information. Um, you know, I mean, again, it goes back to our storytelling thing. It's, it's kind of like, it's like storytelling in terms of like what we believe as people. Because one of the things I think is interesting about storytelling is, is that like we were saying this kind of a whole, like today a whole, a whole way is that it's like, it helps us get through things. It helps us kind of like get an understanding of who we are, what's okay. going on. And if, you know, and if the mythology is wrong, then well, everyone's going to behave wrong, right? Yeah, so I was just going to say I was just thinking about, um, um, like Carl was talking about earlier when he was talking about like what it's like, you know, in production and how it's like a city and it's a family and one person gets sick, you know, it turns into this whole wave of whatever. And I was just thinking about one thing I know I don't want to see and I've already been seeing them is I talk to you to, I'm going to say younger writers in particular, because they're the ones who always think they have a new great idea. Um, whereas we, more seasoned people, tend to be like, hmm, will this work for me? Right. We, we go there first, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas younger writers or newer writers always think, ooh, that's the new wave. Let me ride that wave. So there's, I've had about six writers go, hey, will you read this short? Will you read this idea? We read this log line. We're doing this thing about coronavirus. I'm like, I don't want to read it. And here's why. For me, I think that it is a wave, right? Now, this may go on for another year and a half. What I don't want to see, and I even heard um, uh, Craig and John talking about it on script notes, John Craig was saying, you know, what he doesn't want to see, and I agree with him, is he doesn't want to see people starting to put things in scripts where people are washing their hands before they touch people or whatever, you know, all that stuff. If the world turns into that, we will know that and just assume that they did those things. You don't, right. have, to, you don't have to say they did them. You right. know what I mean? Which I agree, too. <clears throat> and, but, but a lot of people are, like, making sure that they cover that thing that we're in but they're forgetting that thing is only may only be temporary. So by the right. time your thing hits the screen, it's go, it's old now. Yeah, it's dated. You yeah. you dated, well, you dated yeah, yourself. But, yeah, I mean, but I mean, it, it, even if you look at that movie Contagion, like Contagion yeah. didn't do that that way. I mean, it's still relevant now, even though the movie maybe 10, 12 years old, yeah. whatever. Everybody's now. watching it now. So yeah, yeah. They're, they're watching yeah. it now. But when you watch it, it's like, like you know, what's her name? Uh, with Paltrow, it's because sh- someone coughs on her or something like that. I mean, mm-hmm. the, I mean, like it, to show. I mean, like if the world becomes where we always have to wash our hands and sh- I mean, you know, we may always wash. Bitches should have been doing that from jump. <laughs> no, let me finish. Let me finish. Let me finish. Like, like, yeah, uh, like it's this protocol. Like, hey, <laughs> hey, 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 guess what? Stupid. I come inside. Before I do anything, I'm washing my. Hand. I mean, like, like before, like any human contact. If you're gonna be washing your hands, like it's like it's, it's kind of like this. Even today, when you watch movies, it's very it's very rare for me to see someone, you know, go to the bathroom and 
and you show me the mundane level of what you do. Usually, the, you, what happens is if someone is, is washing their hands out of the bathroom, is that something's going to happen to them like right. at that scene. You know, yeah, they're cool. they're oblivious to some murderer coming in the door. Yeah, it's it's not it's like 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 it's like I'm not making a plot point. Right. Someone's washing their hands. It's just it's just what we do. So to put that in the that's what I'm saying. It's like it's like like we like to, to always show that we're doing that in the television show. Like it's it's kind of like someone goes to the bathroom and I see them wipe their ass. You better wipe your ass. So don't show me that. Yeah, I think you know? it'll be. I think it'll be along the lines of like normal. Like we, every film or TV show you see, we don't always see people eating dinner, breakfast, lunch, or dinner. We assume they ate something sometime during the day to nourish right. themselves. I think it'll be just like that. Yeah, they wash their hands. They put on. Yeah. We might see some more masks on people's faces. Yeah. <laughs> or people doing those kind of things. But other than that, I don't think. It'd be too yeah, much. I think that's where I'm going. It's just that that mundane stuff. I don't mm -hmm. think you need to include it in your scripts. No, yeah. I think right now you got to wait and see because you really want to see how it affects people long term. And I'm saying that because like, like already, this generation already has a disconnect with each other because of social media. They're always on their phones. They don't interact much. This is putting gasoline on that lack of interaction. Right. So I would I'm curious to see how they attack or, or even address intimacy, the shift of intimacy. Right. That's, you know what I'm saying? So per, just a couple holding hands down the street, getting to that point, that's going to be like a milestone in a relationship. Okay. Hands, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So if, if they approach it in that way and they really break it down in that regard, that'll, like I said, it'll be a whole different level of storytelling. But watch the hands like that can get redundant. And like you said, it's a given and it doesn't really, it won't add any right. additional information. Right. But, no, but yeah, but but, but Carl, I see. I think that, that like this is the problem with the younger person, and then about the example you're giving, is that the younger writer is saying, "What is this external thing that we're trying, that we're going through? How do we focus on that as the story?" And that's mm -hmm. not what you you know, like that's how shit gets dated. That's how shit becomes not smart. But what Carl said is like, "How do you deal with intimacy? That's your story." Right. right, because that's what you want to look at is is like right. how we shifted intimacy, you know, and 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 then we see all the different permutations like of the effect with that. Because I mean, look, like I get to, I mean, look, we all spend a lot of time texting right now, mm -hmm. and every once in a while, I'll talk with these girls who are younger, who are like you know in their like early thirties, and it's like, and it's like the level of texting they do. <laughs> I'm just kind of like, but I'm like, wait, 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 wait. Don't send me like ten texts. Yeah. Call me. Just call me. And, and, yeah. and, 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 and she's like, well, no, I'm not that way. I'm like, but I mean, but it's like, but but you write so much in the text, and it's all like these abbreviations and slice downs. And I'm like, right. I'm just kind of like, you gotta formulate what the word means. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, what is this? Was that, a, was that a was that a type? Was it a typo or was that an acronym for something? What's exactly. going on? <laughs> exactly. I mean, I mean, look, you know, I mean, I look, and I was, I was, and I look, that's not the world I grew up in, but that is something interesting. But to me, I look, I go, it's something interesting to explore. It's definitely something about, like, you know, like, how do you look at people's, um, uh, you know, we said this earlier, like, oh, like what's authentic now? That's changed the way it is in terms of you know because of what's going on in the world and 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 that 
is what you have to look at to address because that would be more just you know like like there was a movie I saw is with I can't remember what the fuck it was called but it had John Cho in it the guy who played Sulu in the Star Trek reboot and it was all it was about his daughter went missing yeah yeah that's when we talked about a couple years ago when it came out yeah yeah and it's yeah and it was all told through like like interactions over screens like his cell phone oh, right, or, right, right. you know like 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 there was never a shot that wasn't from like someone's camera phone point of view like he's looking into it talking to someone or typing on the screen or something like that and i was like you know what we there's been thousands of movies that deal with like uh, uh you know like the the phone and everything like that and i thought that was so ingenious for a way to tell a story, but it's not really about the technology. It's really about this father trying to find his daughter, and it was like, mm-hmm. and he's tr- trying to use technology as a way to track her. And I was like, <laughs> that's actually smart to do it that way. And it's kind of like that's what you want to see. That's like the kind of the, the the changes on because to me, I think the thing uh, about like be, like being intimate and like and and trying to figure out like what still makes us human. In, I mean, you know, they always say, not that, but it's true. It's it's that like we're social animals, and we are like so into like human connection, and you know, and and one of the things that you do when you're writing is like, hey, I gotta make that connection with you, the audience, with with the characters going on. You gotta feel, so it's not someone you know personally, but you have to feel that intimacy with them, and you know, like how is that being like like eroded, shifted, transmutated because of where we are. Because you know, someone was talking about the other day. What were they saying? Um, they're having these Zoom cocktails. Yeah. You know, and I'm just like, okay, that's a word now. We can have a Zoom cocktail. <laughs> people, people are people are Zoom dating. They're dating no, on Zoom. But here's the thing, though: intimacy in the new content that we're going to be producing, it's going to have so much of a new level of, of impact on people. Because when you're seeing stories about doctors and nurses who can't even go home and hug their children or their wives, um, great example, when I went to Walmart two weeks ago, I, we went to two of them. We went to one, and then we were going to our Trader Joe's, but now they have it where the first hour at Trader Joe's, they let older people go in first. Right. And people with disabilities, and then we all wait outside. So <clears throat> me and my sister are like, well, they're going to open up. Let's just go to the other Walmart across the street. So we went in there, and it's like, oh, my God, there's nobody in here. And it stopped. <laughs> and they had, like, 75% off and all the Easter stuff. So I'm like, people should buy this shit now for next year. So, of course, I'm, you know, getting the last-minute stuff that we didn't able to get. And my sister's like, well, let's just go ahead. There's nobody in the self-checkout. Let's do the self-checkout. There's nobody there. We don't have to interact with nobody. We have our gloves and stuff. We can just get in and out. No big deal. Mm-hmm. So we're checking our stuff out. And I see one of the, the young people who are there who are working, the essential worker, who's just there in case the machines fuck up. And me, when I am trying to be social with people, uh, you know, basically I just tell her, you know, thank you for being an essential worker. Thank you for being open because I haven't been out in a month. And if you guys weren't here, we'd be screwed. And just yeah. basically let her know as a human being, I really appreciate that <clears throat> you're here when I know you could be probably struggling with your family. And the woman started crying. Yeah. And, I could, and normally in a situation like that, I'm one of those empaths. Like if people are feeling something, I feel it. And usually I want to like touch you or give you a oh, hug yeah. and let you know it's okay. 
But mm-hmm. in the first time in my life, it was like, here's a woman who probably the first time someone had ever said something kind to her in all this chaos to let her know, girl, I see you. And I appreciate the fact that I know you got shit going on at home. I know Walmart don't pay you shit, mm-hmm. but thank God you're here because you're helping my family. And I just want to let you know, thank you so much. <clears throat> and I couldn't do anything. Like literally I'm six feet, feet away from her. She's crying. She's got her little mask and gloves on. And it was like, my first instinct was my hands went out and then I had to put them down. And we're both looking at each other. And it was kind of like that eye thing where like, if this were any other normal thing, I would give you a great big hug Mm -hmm. and let you know how wonderful you are and try to transfer that energy. But I couldn't. Like literally, I had to like take my little bags, walk around her to the car with my sister and like leave her in that moment that could have been a normal, intimate, oh my God, our human interaction, right. where the impact probably would have been more for her to have that hug, but the fact that we both looked at each other like, shit, we can't even, well, I can't even give you that human contact to let you know, I see you, I feel right. you, more than just the verbal, so. I was, I was thinking about, I just gave a writer some notes on their short script, and it was, it was about the, the Rona, right? And it was an interesting thing where there was, there was a guy um, he's on his, he's, he's getting ready for, you know, for the day, even though he's like inside the house <clears throat> and he gets a call from somebody who says to meet him at the park and he puts on his mask and he goes outside and, you know, he's sitting at the park and he's talking to this guy in this business suit. And it comes to realize that the guy is his father-in-law. He's been separated from his wife and the, the father-in-law, that's his daughter and he reveals the fact that he knows he was cheating on her with somebody at the office or something. And it kind of doesn't really go anywhere, right? It's just this little conversation between them. And I said, you spent three pages talking about the, his wife and the woman he cheated on, but we never even saw them, right? I said, so I found myself more interested in who they were than the people talking in the story right now. Right, right. right? And I said... Imagine, it's only like six pages. I said, you could actually start this thing over. I said, I, I was just hearing a story from a friend of mine who's like, and I know you guys have heard a lot of this too, where uh, uh, um, you, you have a girlfriend, you have a boyfriend, whatever. They live in the next town. Usually y'all see each other, you know, three or four times a week. Well, now you can't even see them, right? I said, so imagine... Yes. No. <laughs> I said, imagine being in a house now with somebody on the day that the wife realizes that he cheated on her. So it's Thursday for like this goes from Thursday to Saturday, just as an example, right? Mm-hmm. I said, so Thursday, she discovers he cheated on him. She says he she wants him out, right? Well, Friday, they say nobody can go anywhere on the news, right? So he's like, shit, I was starting to get my shit together. Well, Saturday is the day that they have to decide what's going to happen with them. Well, over the next two days, they're at home by themselves. They have to bond. How does a couple who just discovered that somebody cheated on them, they were about to break up, how do they come back? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, I said, now, now, it's, now it's contained between two characters as opposed to them going out to the park and doing all this other stupid. Now it's two characters on the verge of a breakup having to come back. And then what if when they finally come back, one of them realizes they're actually now sick? You know what I mean? But mm-hmm. something something that has this rise and fall 
two characters. I said that could have legs, and you don't even have to say it's the Rona. It could right. be any situation with people trapped inside of it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, so she was like all excited about like what to do with that. I was like, you have to go further. You have to go further with these characters. You know what I mean? So it just reminded me of that when you were when you were right. Talking. I right. think Rona's gonna have these, these are a lot of first draft ideas. Right. And when they go back in, like you said, they keep going further and keep pulling back the the, the onion peel, right. going right. Deep, deeper. They say, "Oh, this is what I thought it was about, but it's really about this." So right, right. Everybody, because right. I'm sure everybody's going to be in a rush to be the first to do this big pandemic exactly. story. Exactly. But I don't want to see. But as a just not as a writer, but just as a viewer, a fan of cinema, I don't want to see those movies right now. I don't, <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't see them. Keep them. Keep them. <laughs> I, I want the I want the, I, fa- I I want the fantasy right. I want the fantasy of before. Let me process that. Give me a couple years before we start dealing with that stuff. Or you have to be very clever in hiding it in something else. Kind of like the seventies when we were dealing with um, a lot of the Vietnam War and a lot of the films that were coming out. All those westerns where they're using Native Americans in place of Vietnamese. So mm-hmm. you got to have to hide it really smart because as a cinema fan, I don't want to see that shit. I'm just letting y'all know I ain't paying to go see that shit. Because it's traumatizing, and I'm just now getting out of it. And the fact that I'm going to a theater probably for the first time in like months, mm-hmm. and then you and then you're gonna hit me with that. Like I'm not gonna see no Miss Rona movies. You, but do you <laughs> think theaters are gonna? I personally think theaters may may never recover from this. Look, this is the thing. I think we're gonna go back to drive-ins. Did y'all see that article that came yeah, out? Yeah. The one box office in Florida, of course, Florida. Uh, it was a drive-in. I'm thinking drive-ins are going to make a comeback. I miss those drive-ins. Here's I what I was thinking <clears throat> is that, like, like, they keep talking about, like, Georgia, you know, they want to open up, you know, the movie theaters and all this other stuff. The thing that they keep forgetting, Hollywood doesn't work like that. Right. Right? You can't just open up a theater here and be like, oh, we're showing the new Tom Cruise movie. Tom Cruise movie won't show if it's not everywhere. They mm-hmm. have to make their money. Right. Am I right, Chris? That's how it works. Yeah. Like, they won't, yeah. they won't put it out like that. They're not yeah. going to put it in two theaters. Otherwise, they won't make $300 million. If they do a Netflix type of rollout or an Amazon type of rollout, then two theaters, two, two tentpole type we'll, situations. We'll probably see a growth of new platforms, perhaps. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. But I, th- that's, I just can't see. Like, honestly, just as me as a movie person who likes to go, who loves going to theaters, I love the whole theater experience. Like, you guys know, I like being there 20 minutes beforehand, right. have all my food. <laughs> I like to sit and watch people come in. I like to watch the tray. I like the whole full. I'm the one who stays behind for the credits because I want to give respect to everybody who worked on the film. I applaud the stunt people when their names go by. Like I'm that person. I'm that. I'm that person. I'm telling you right now. I probably am not going to go to a theater probably for like 18 months to two years from now because I just don't. Maybe a year. <laughs> just to be safe. Even if they well, say we're on I keep hoping. I keep hoping. Maybe drive-ins are going to make a yeah. comeback, y'all. You know, I'm a little leery of driving. The reason Sorry, why I'm leery of driving is because there, there was a huge drive-in back in Chicago we used to all go to. They shut down like weeks weeks after Boys in the Hood came out because there was a huge murder. And so my concern with drive-ins is that there's, there's so many prevalent guns around. Security would be crazy. To regulate right. security in a situation like that, certain cities may be able to pull it off, but right. I mean, I, I just... I went when when they started talking about drive-throughs. I instantly thought about the Halsted Twin back mm. in Chicago back in the day, All and right. I saw Boys right. in the Hood for the second time at the drive-in, and then right. to be fair, 
this this man gets murdered and they have to shut the whole thing down and that kind right. of death nail of drive-ins, especially in the Midwest. So, right. I mean, they can regulate it in some way. That would be cool. I mean, I remember Cassius hiding Trump and then they get in yeah. and then they get out and everything like that. <laughs> but, you know, I things know. Gonna, I, I just I just don't, like you said, I don't see people going to a, willingly going to a theater, a concert, a football game or basketball game for a nice long time. Right. Not, right. you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. you can't even enjoy it. You got a mask on and this and that. You, no. you can't even enjoy it. And you damn sure not right. take your family. You know what I'm right. saying? Like, right, right, it, It'll be... It's going to be... Yeah, I mean, it's, look, I mean, me that to me is the thing that... That's one of the things that, like, part of, like, the anxiety and uncertainty is that I lament is that, you know, like, I'm like Lisa. It's like, I love to go to the theater. I don't like watching movies at home, you know, for the simple fact that the, the experience is different. Right. It's just, I mean, like, like emotionally, it's different. I mean, and honestly, it's like one of the things about like, like comedies is like comedies. Like, I never liked them at home. They they only work for me in the theater because everyone else is laughing, right? Different jokes and stuff like that. right. And it, which, yeah. which 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 will yeah. cause which will keep you like this. There's a like a late like the the laugh level is boiling, you know, and I mean or simmering, and it, and it boils every once in a while. And it's like the same thing with horror films. Like horror films, like don't play the same in at home. They do. I mean, if you're at home with yourself, yeah, where you with some of your family, some of that. But it's like the but the jump scare when the whole road jumps. Yes, you know, like that's some shit that you that you love. That it's you the won't... it's the it's the energy transfer of being in a theater with other people. Even right. when we go to the even when we go to the WGA and we don't have popcorn and all the all the accoutrements that I'm used to. When I have to smuggle in my tacos and my food into the WGA, don't tell nobody. But <laughs> and I'm hanging in there like I got my stuff. There's just something about the experience of watching a film with other people, the the titters, the nervousness, the inner it's just there's no experience like that. And I want that experience back. Like I'm trying to think the last movie I saw in the theater was the Bad Boys movie that just came out. That was the last time I was actually in a theater with a bunch of people watching a movie. And it was so much fun. It made the month the, the movie was funnier because everybody else was involved with it. And it was just such a great experience. And to think that I won't be able to have that for a while is really, it's really sad, you know? And I feel bad for all the productions that were due to come out, that we were looking forward to, that are having to be pushed back. Some of them are actually going ahead to go on streaming on Netflix and different platforms to try to save them. But I just feel really bad for all the people who put in all this work. And their stuff has to be pushed back, and Look, or the, the people are not going to be able to enjoy it the way it was meant to be enjoyed because now we have to watch it on a smaller platform. But see, this is the thing that I find interesting about these these movies that are coming out on, you know, like that movie with um, Issa Rae and um, what's it called, uh, Lovebirds is coming right, out, like right. Lovebirds <laughs> and all these kind of things. I mean, I'm kind of like, okay, what are you saving that for by putting it out on Netflix? Because you got a certain amount of money that they gave you. There's no like this problem with Netflix with, with, with everything with Netflix is from the point of view of a creator who wants to know the like 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 what's the impact of his work. You In terms of box that. office, you won't know the box office because I mean there is no right. box office. I mean I'm, I'm sure it's capped. I'm sure that that people people with Paramount were like, hey, we're gonna put it on Netflix, like, yeah, we'll, we'll give you X amount of money only. You want you know so so right. so so what are you saving it for? Like um, a buyout. 
Because I think, I think, wasn't it last month? Netflix just got like, I want to say like six million new subscribers. Fifteen. Fifteen. Fifteen million. Fifteen yeah. million. Okay. But you know, but the, but yeah. but you know, but the the problem with the problem with the Netflix model, in terms of like, it's not necessarily the model, but it's like the way they do business because they don't share the data of of how well something's done. You know, so the concept of like. The concept of like what's the New York Times bestseller? What's right. you know like the box office champion? What's the thing that was the highest ratings thing? That's not something that. <laughs> well, the only thing they have going on now is if you go on Netflix now, they they just started doing this thing where they have like the number one through five, like the top five viewed content now. So they didn't have this before. Now you go on there, it's like oh, it's one, two, three, four, five. So I think they're starting to do metrics, but. I don't know how accurate that gauge is. How do we know to, that that's not? I mean, them lying. You said they lying. It could be like, that. Shit could be like some payola shit for you know the way they used to do with the record industry. Right. I mean, you don't know. But the the thing about it too is is that you know they use their 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 algorithm to make all these decisions. You know how like the 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 the, the image you see for the the cover of a movie. Is based upon all this other shit. It's not like the art that the people decided. This is what we're gonna sh- we're gonna show you. And I'm, and I'm kind of like, so does it also mean that they're determining who has the most value, actor wise, in a movie because of you know because this is what this is what the algorithm is saying, you know. And 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 the thing that you kind of love about a, a lot of movies, particularly indie films, is you know is fresh faces. Because they're trying to find someone you haven't seen. Let's make them pop. They might have been in the background or something here or there. Now let's put them in something and they, they get to shine. And it's kind of like, how does that work in a, you know in, in the world where the algorithm is basing it upon shit that's already out? And, and if someone right. has no resume as an actor, you know, or as a writer or as a filmmaker or like whatever it is, well, then are they going to get, like shots or are they getting less budget or all sorts of things like you know that affect the, that will affect the type of product that gets made because of the way that, that they keep a stranglehold on the information that everyone is used to you know to, to, to make certain other decisions in deciding like like what film to make you know I got a question those, those top five how, how many are their productions I don't know. I don't know. I know. I mean, I mean, I don't. I mean, look. I've only watched since we've been under lockdown. I, I I've only watched the first episode of Tiger King on Netflix. <laughs> I mean, we, I, That's I it. I haven't used the platform. I mean, I, 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 I mean, the stuff I wanted to watch that I wanted to see has there's been stuff on Hulu. Like I wanted to see like Miss America. I want to see um, um, Little Fires Everywhere because the woman who wrote that was taught by my mom, and it takes place like in my hometown. It's like an interesting little like 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 show for me to watch. Uh, some Amazon stuff, uh, you know. It's it's like I've been saying before the type of stuff that stuff stuff that's fed to me on Netflix. I don't is not interesting to me. And every once in a while, I'll find something cool, but it's not something that's advertised. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, and I always think that's the biggest problem. And that, that's why I wonder what, you know, in terms of what you're saying earlier about are they trying to save something with putting out Lovebirds or these other movies that are on like these, they're putting them out on Netflix. 
I'm wondering is like, are they trying to save the advertising spend? Did they spend forty million dollars to advertise this movie, and 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 therefore if they don't put it out now, that money's burned, you know, and therefore they're just going to eat the production costs because they can't really, you know, just the way the accounting works anyway. That first money paid off is advertising anyway, so they can't really like regulate what the 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 return is going to be or the payback of the the negative is going the negative cost is going to be and it's just an interesting time in terms of like you know like what is going to get like what's going to get made unless those people share the information and the thing is is that they've made it clear like all those places Apple Netflix you know Disney Plus that's part of their like you know their it's a trade secret you know they're not going to let that out because if everyone knew what the Netflix algorithm was well, then everyone would use it. And therefore, you know, there's no value in Netflix per se, like, like other than they have brand equity. So, um, it makes us um, that information. It gives them all the leverage. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it gives them all the leverage. Let's, so, well, let's try to wrap this up a little bit. Um, so what do you, what do you guys see or what do you guys want to see coming out of this? You know, not only for the world, but, you know, just for our industry since we're all in the industry. I'll start with you, Carl. Uh, well, I mean, to to me, this, okay. if anything, um, <laughs> what's up? What was that? I, I was joking with you. No, no, I, I, I was fucking with you. I, I didn't, I didn't hear it. You, you, you got stuck. So it's I'm okay. Like, something else. Um, it's okay. I mean, if anything, it shows that there's definitely a a hungry audience for stories, all kinds of stories. You know what I'm saying? I've seen, you know, every everybody's hunk as as you hunker down. The, the beauty of storytelling, be it movies, be it TV shows, be it documentaries, people want pe- people want content to watch and however they want. And to me, that just reminds us how important our industry is in that regard and on that front. Mm-hmm. Second front is the actual world of production, which we have taken for granted so long. I, I think this pause, because, because production is so, it's, it's long hours, it's a lot of work, a lot of effort. To have this ability to, to, to be forced to sit still will make a lot of us value production a lot more. And right. and, 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 and kind of probably I, I think people are gonna reinvest in it as well. I think I think this will this is this will give people this pause will give people the time to appreciate it and approach it from a whole different standpoint as instead of just I'm exhausted, I'm this, this, and that, it's like, wow, this is I'm I'm being reminded why I do what I want to do. And and people are ex- ex- examining why they they do what they do so as we go forward production wise i think there'll be a whole new sense of attitude new sense of vigor i think uh and i also think i think storytelling is going to uh intensify you know so i think this time sitting still i mean it's just like when you watch a a quarterback who has an amazing season in the nfl then that next season it's not so good it's because everybody's had this time to study him and everybody had time to kind of study the landscape, their work, their mm-hmm. competitors' work, where they want to be, and so forth. So I think because of that, I think there's going to be an elevation of content as well. Okay, nice. What about you, Chris? Well, mm-hmm. I agree with a lot of things that Carl's saying. I mean, I feel like we're going to have a really interesting. You know, I I, th- I think there's there's going to be a glut of store of, of material that's going to get coming out. You know, so many people are creating stuff, right. writing stuff. It's all going to be sitting around. I think it's going to be harder to get things 
made because there's going to be so much content. I mean, it's like, you know, it's like I'm working on two features and two uh, pilots and two comic books. And it's like, okay, that's a lot of shit. And it's like, I bet you that everyone, oh, and I'm working on these these little short films we did. And it's like, you know, like, and the thing is, I got no resources. So I imagine someone who's got resources is doing a lot of shit. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like, you know, it might be interesting to see, like, the kind of stuff that reaches the the screen. Might It might be some weird sense of, like, survival of the fittest type of thing. But I think that what Lisa was saying earlier is what I'm interested in. It's like, I'm interested in seeing the type of narratives that we haven't seen. Or if we're going to see something, we, you know, I mean... It, you know, I was, I was saying earlier, one of the things about television that <laughs> bothers me is it's like, you know, like, I don't like to necessarily watch this a serialized show because of the way serialized shows have evolved. They're at this point where it's like, here's just one big thing happening per season. And it's kind of like, I've seen some European shows that don't handle it that way. Their models throwing things a little different. And it's more engaging to me. And I just, I just, I hope that we'll see... That's the thing that I'm. I, I I think people will have different stories to tell that might get crowded out because they don't have the name and they don't have the this and there's going to be this reliance on well we're back you know someone like J J Abrams or something like that like he's gonna have five projects ready to go so let's snap up let's snap up like all five of those because we trust him as opposed to, I, I think there might be that kind of weird sense of like the type of that gets that gets the green light in the next two or three years, you know? And then once all that stuff that's now backlogged in, in the creation mode starts to get made, there might be new voices in, we'll see in like three to five years kind of thing. Okay. But, but, you know, but, but at that point, the impact of the what's happening now, you know, is probably less. So, I don't know. Right. Lisa, what'd you think? I'm going to play Loki's advocate. I'm not going to be the devil's advocate. I'll be Loki because I love, I love <laughs> tricksters. And I'm going to jump on the opposite of what Chris is saying, although I believe in what you're saying, Chris, is in terms of having resources. But this is what I'm going to, I'm going to put out. I'm going to think that people are not going to be interested in seeing what J.J. Abrams and all the rest of the old school have been saying. I think people are going to see some new shit. I think... People are going to be going to movie theaters a lot more when we do open up because they're going to be so wanting to have that film experience. But they're also, in terms of not just film, but in television, they're wanting to see some new shit. J.J. Abrams and all of them, they're part of that B.C. before Corona. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm all about that AC. I'm all about what can you show me, especially in television. I know, Carl, you're doing like the Chicago Peter. My mother loves that show. She loves all the Chicago shows. Anything with Chicago in the title, my mother's watching that. I think we're going to be watching a lot more stuff, but we're going to be a little bit more selective in what we watch. And I think people are going to be open than they haven't been before to seeing things that are new and different and not necessarily always big budget and with the people who have the most resources. It's being proven right now in terms of stuff that has nothing to do with film, in terms of music. People listening to Quest Love every night when he's just doing his DJ session and he's just telling stories and Stevie Wonder's calling in talking about, yo man, I had the dude on here playing the guitar. Don't cost no money really. Mm-hmm. 
No, people just no, want, no. And, and it gets the same numbers, and it gets the same numbers. Getting more numbers yeah. because yeah, but people yeah, want to hear yeah. that storytelling aspect, not the razzle dazzle so much. That even though we love that, I think it's just going to be new, and people are going to be open to new things because this has fucked up a lot of people. Well, no, yeah, okay, but Lisa, like, let me just clarify. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, I think the industry, because it runs on fear, is gonna want that. Is like is going to want that thing that makes them comfortable, but that's the mistake that they're going to make. Yes. You know? I'm thinking it might also be in terms of, as you know, you and I, Chris, you know, students of history and history and cinema, whenever America's had a crisis, and I'm just talking in America because I can only speak on America, whenever we've had a crisis, our art has actually been elevated and it's actually brought in some more intriguing and different and new ways of looking at life. So mm-hmm. I'm looking at this as just another wave of how we reinterpret how we're going to look at our storytelling. And I'm actually excited in terms of what's going to mm-hmm. come out. Because you got to remember, like you said, after World War II and all that, um, World War I, we had like classic films that came out. In the 70s, when we had the oil crisis and we had a lot of Scorsese and a lot of those dudes coming out with some great film right before we started breaking from the old school of studio to like indie to like the whole 70s wave of just like really exciting cinema and really innovative television that was starting to come out. I'm looking forward to that being our tradition in terms of how we always do in crisis. So I'm kind of being a little (laughs) bit hopeful in terms of what we're going to put out. And I'm actually excited for it because I think it's it's been a long time coming. So I don't know. I'm 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 very hopeful, and I'm I I can't wait to go to a movie theater and go see me with people again. I think I think I'm looking. I, I think I think the industry is going to change a little. Um, Chris and I just interviewed last week Anthony Sparks, the showrunner of um, Queen Sugar. <clears throat> we we're talking a little bit about how he's running the room now, like how we are, we're on Skype, but they're on Zoom and how all that works. And he was saying that there's actually some good things that may come out of it in the sense that it allows the showrunners and the creators to see now that if there's an emergency, the room doesn't all have to be there. You know, like, like, like Carl's directing the episode, we don't have to worry about just having a call with him. We could do this and still you know, it, it still may work. It still feels like there's a communication going on. And I, my biggest thing that I was concerned with, how in the world are they going to do the writer's room now? You know, because <clears throat> having sat at the table, it's a different thing. Like like you and we're all here now on, on Skype as if we were in the writer's room now, right? But it's still, we're still not there with the energy of each other. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, that camaraderie, that, that thing that you get. So that's the thing I'm, I'm concerned about <clears throat> is all the young or the newer writers, I'm going to call them young because there's older writers too, all the newer writers who are getting staff are not experiencing the real um, you know, Zoom and all. The other thing I was going to say was I think as production starts, as Carl was getting into, um, I think I think I think sets are going to be a little smaller, um, which you know, Chris and I come from the indie world. Actually, Carl does too. I think about it. Um, we're used to shooting with you know twenty, thirty people, 
you know, and, and then making it feel like its own little city. But I, I guess my question, Carl, is how would they, how would a, how would a union job be smaller when there's so many different um, departments that have to be there for that city to run? I don't, like almost, I don't know how that's possible. Yeah, I, I don't know how that's possible. I, I mean, that those that new protocol that's been suggested can work for like an independent film right. or like a lower budget film. But mm -hmm. you have juggernaut productions, you know, like like most TV shows. I, I don't see how that. I don't see how that can happen. I, 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 don't, I don't know. I don't know how you modify that right now. And, I, and, right. I, and that's why you have all of these different guilds and the Academy all working together to try to come up with these new protocols. And I think it'll stem with, like, things have been suggested, like, testing. Like, right now, somebody said, you got to quarantine for two weeks before you shoot. Like, are you going to pay folks to quarantine for these two weeks? That's expensive. What, what about somebody going from one show to the very next? How, how does that play, you know, in, in casting? You got you cast somebody out of New York, right? and they're coming to fly to Tucson, Arizona. Like, right. are you going to quarantine them for two weeks? So there's a lot of things that have to be, discussed and, 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 you know, hashed out. But I, it's like I said, it, it's impossible to social distance and do a and tell those kind of stories on a show of the, on shows of that magnitude, because it's just, it's just well, a lot of parts. The, the now, thing you, may have, I was thinking, you may have, you may have bottled episodes mm -hmm. where you can kind of create skeletal crews yeah, and so forth. Cause they have days where they have a skeletal crew go do this scene right. or that scene. They may have episodes that do that right. initially. But I think the goal is to get back to the way production was before. I guess what I was thinking was, it was also, not only do you have all the young departments, but as you were getting into, you also have the unions. Yeah. You know what I mean? You have the DGA and the other things that are there. So, and, and you can't cross lines when you're on a set. You know what I mean? So, so you can't be the director and be like, you know what, uh, let's move that, let's move that base. No, I got it. You know what I mean? You can't go move the base. <laughs> you know what I mean? You, so if they're so down some stairs, you can't. Yeah, you can't move that light. And if you, you know do, I mean? guys, don't 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 tell on me, please. But, you know, yeah, yeah. The unions so, have specific perimeters. Right, yeah. right, right. So, so that's the other thing I was thinking about because I've been talking about this a lot with a couple other big producer friends of mine, and everybody thinks crews are going to be smaller. I'm like, I don't see how they're yeah. going to be smaller when you have unions and I can't touch your shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, also keep in mind too, man. Most crews, no one is there arbitrarily. Everybody that's right. on a crew has a specific purpose. If, if if anything, if they start giving one person two responsibilities, right. that can, that that's a slippery slope. You know exactly. What I'm that's and, my point. It, yes. And when you do independent filming and you're wearing multiple hats, you know, wearing multiple hats, it can be done. But sometimes right. things can slip through the cracks as well, which is the reason why crews have the size they have, so that. Right. Everybody plays their position adequately right. to keep the machine moving forward. So right. it's, you know, it's, it, it's, it's, I'll be curious to see where it goes. You say something, Chris? I mean, look, I, I think it's an interesting point about the crews. It's like one of the things about indie film, they get away with smaller crews. Just look at the scope of the productions they're trying to do. Right. You know, so it's, it just tells you, like, I mean, I mean, the one thing that I noticed so much I'm working on, I've been on a few television sets, is that, you know, like, like these professional sets, not whatever, the union sets as opposed to the indie films I've done is, 
they're able to move at a pace because of the crew size they have. That if you if you bring that down, you know, how are you going to get your pages done that right. day? Because you're not getting able to, I mean, you know, on an indie film, you know, if you're going to get three pages done a day, four pages done a day, you can do that, you know, with a smaller crew. But are you trying to get your eight to nine that you got to do on a TV show and, 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 and you got, you know, like just one AC for three cameras? I mean, like some bullshit like that. Right. Like, no, no, that's not going to happen. That's just not, you, okay. you, you, they can't. I mean, it's not that. But, you don't, know, don't you miss those days, Carl? <laughs> no. <laughs> I thought you said you were going back to your joy, Carl. I thought you said you were going back of to your joy. Watching. <laughs> joy of watching. You know what I'm saying? You see all this? This game. <laughs> wearing multiple hats. Two years. It happened that fast, right? Yes, it happens, man. I, I had no I, I was looking like you all. Then I did my first short. Boom. Rizzy out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. So thank you I guys. Mean, Sorry, I mean, like, I don't think the the crews are gonna change. They can't. I mean, look, look. If you're fucking making Mission Impossible seven and eight, right? Are you 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 you're not gonna shoot that like he did Eyes Wide Shut with like ten people on set. You just right. what the fuck are you doing? You know? No. <laughs> All right, well, thank you guys. Yeah. I appreciate it. You guys all rock. I hope you guys are staying safe out there. Um, where you at, Carl Seaton? Uh, I'm I'm on social media, uh, Mr. Carl Seaton on all platforms. Yes, of course. Yeah, Chris. Well, Derek, you, one more thing I want to say. I want to take the time to acknowledge Lisa <laughs> Bonacasha. She's a uh, real person. Me, <laughs> the world to actually see a real person. I, I, I didn't believe it. Like you had Loch Ness Monster, you had Bigfoot, you had Sabolakaja. So to see if she's a real person, drinking a, a martini, you, know, you did that, Lisa. Wait, wait, wait. So I'm not Mr. Snuffleupagus. This is an imaginary friend of Hilliard's. <laughs> I, I'm, 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 I'm drinking a Kool-Aid right now, okay. thinking she's a real person. Okay. I, no. I, I what, you what, face face. One of these days we'll be face to face. And then you'll feel the real energy. <laughs> this is a good start, though. This is a good start. Okay. 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 So I won't bust your balls anymore. Okay. All right. The notion of you thinking Siri in an algorithm. I'm, I'm, real. I'm, I'm real. I'm real. I'm real. I'm not going to marry him, but I'm going to put him in the rack. I'm going to pull him out. But right now, they're on pause. All right. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> What about you, Chris? Where are you at? <clears throat> I am um, at uh, unauthorized CBD on Twitter and Instagram. Awesome. Lisa, Lisa, cult jam. Uh, I am on what fresh hell is this on Twitter. And uh, I have my burner accounts that I will never let you know what they are. <laughs> because that's how I can do my digs and jabs. <laughs> and be nice because you know Hollywood be small and black people be real sensitive about their shit. So, <laughs> but I'm on what fresh hell is this? And um, yeah, I'll probably be on a little bit more. I've been I tweet on Friday for the Friday night. Uh, so I'll probably do a little bit more of those uh, live tweeting some films and things like that just to get back into it because I did take some time off. But the Friday night I'm horror. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. <clears throat> yep. Right nice. in our horror. Nice. Awesome. 
And I'm your host, Hilliard Guest. You guys can find me on Twitter, at Hilliard Guest. You guys can follow the show, ScreenwritersRR on Twitter. Any questions, ScreenwritersRantRoom at gmail.com. Um, please go on our what, Chris? On our website, go on uh, ScreenwritersRR.com. We can go to the Patreon page and you can support our show. You can support this podcast. You can buy mugs. You can buy T-shirts. And you can just, you know, just, just give us some money. Um, it feels good. It would be good for us. So, you know, I, I want to give a shout out to Steve Bagatorian, uh-huh. who just became a supporter. Nice. Um, you know, I want to shout out to the rest of the, the people who do support the show on a monthly basis. Carl Seaton. Uh, yeah, Carl Seaton, Jeff Thorne, a bunch. Of, you know, there's a lot of people. I don't have to listen in front of me, uh, fortunately. Um, so, you know, yeah. Did we ever fix that issue so we can get t shirts to Lisa? Yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. All right. I didn't know yet. So, okay. One, 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 of, one of these days, I'll have a. It's only been six months. T- get one a t shirt of a show that I'm on. I hey, see hey, other people I walking around. Sure. <laughs> he, he bought his t shirt. Oh, can I just say one last thing? One yeah. last thing. Uh, shout out to the Clarion class of 2020. I know that this has been a rough year. Normally, Clarion is this is their 52nd year for the science fiction, fantasy, horror writers workshop at UCSD and also up in Seattle. Um, They got noticed that this year is the first year in the 52-year history that they can't actually do the workshop because Mm -hmm. of the virus. But I just want to let those people that did make it in, um, you're still part of the Clarion family. Um, They were going to try to do that, but I have to tell you this. It's not the same experience as being there for those eight weeks. So they made the decision a couple of weeks ago to not have it. So I just want to let those writers know that you're still awesome. You're still part of the Claren family. Um, it's a big deal to be part of that workshop, but to still keep writing and that one day we'll be able to have our writing rooms and be able to be amongst other writers face to face. So I just want to take a shout out to those people who made it in. Awesome. That's what's up. Let me see. Anyway, please follow us, you know, on whatever you guys listen to out there um, on, on for your podcast. You know, we are on, you know, Anchor. We're on Google Play, Spotify, fucking everything, um, all that shit. So anyway, hope you guys are staying safe out there. Um, be careful wherever you go, whatever you do. And hopefully this Rona will be done really, really soon and we get back to work. Hope you guys are writing some scripts. Hope you guys are reading. Hope you guys are watching. You know, and I hope you guys are listening. All the four elements of the world. (laughs) Thanks again, Carl, Lisa, Chris. Good to see y'all, motherfuckers. So y'all know how we do it on the Rant Room. On the show, we keep it real. We keep it opinionated. We keep it what? Everybody. 2020. Cheers, people. Ciao. Peace. I'm going to say what I feel. And I promise to keep it real. Welcome to the Red Room. So you want to be a rider? Well, you got to be a rider. Till your fears are diminishing, the doubts are behind you. It's hard to grind and the business got me stressed in the Red Room. We let that shit up off our chest. You know the street nerd has got no time for no caca. Sass in class. Yes, that's Mr. Bolakaja. Never have to guess when you're listening to Hilliard. He gon' bring more game than a shark playing billiards. It's all about the crap of screenwriting. It's exciting when you turn an outline into something enlightening. Your pen and words are like bullets in a gun. Write what you feel. Say what you want. 
Welcome to the Red Room.